What's up my fellow ambitious poker players and welcome to the Mechanics of Poker podcast in which me, Renee, aka The Wacko and Adam Carmichael deconstruct high stakes poker players, figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they have to develop to surpass them. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition. If you are ambitious about making more progress in your poker career, go over to their site, pokerambition.com and find out which service is best for you. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi there, my fellow poker enthusiasts, and welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Today's guest helps you decide where in your wardrobe you should put your t-shirt, underwear, and socks. He personally needed to create some extra space in there for his Poker Masters purple jacket, in which he won $3.6 million, helping a net over $10 million in tournament earnings. However, he refers to himself more as a cash game player, which is currently what he spends most of his time on playing and coaching over at PokerCode.com. I'm talking about the one and only Stefan Guskor Sontheimer. Very popular guest on podcasts and for good reason. A lot of experience and wisdom and very open in sharing and giving tips to the audience. Adam, I know you have listened to a bunch of his podcasts leading up to this one. What are you most curious about for today's guest? Yeah, I'm very excited for today's guest. And I want to hear how he was able to climb the ladder to play some of the highest super rollers in the game and then be able to come back to the cash game ga games and play that lower almost without any ego and i'm really curious to know what lessons he's learned along the way and he also seems very balanced in terms of his approaches to uh, having a good life being very healthy he's a very health conscious guy so yeah i'm really interested to hear how he packages it all together to become this well-rounded individual as well as a very successful poker player so yeah so many questions on my mind which i'll save for a little bit how about yourself, Rene? What are some of the main things you want to get from our guest today? I've been doing some research myself as well, Adam. Dove into his Poker Code course and learned a couple of things about the dice principle, the lookalike principle. So I have many, many more questions to ask Mr. Suntimer, especially, you know, he's rose through the ranks in both cash games, MTT. So I'm sure he's learned a lot and I'm very curious how he did it, what kind of things that he was doing, how he approached the game. So I would say, without further ado, let's get Stefan on. Welcome to the pod, Stefan. Thank you for being on. Yeah, great to be here. So I think given my introduction of you as a professional wardrobe builder, we left a lot of the listeners uh, pretty confused. So before we start, maybe you could explain to the listeners what you mean with building a wardrobe. I mean, uh, that's like... I don't know, one of my trademark uh, teaching videos, actually. So it's it's just like a way of thinking when, when thinking about, about ranges in poker. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really that whenever I play a hand, I want to give myself options for. And uh, I was looking for, for an, an image to create where like I had in mind how like my flatmate Reiner Kempi always was living out of a suitcase which you can, could already compare it to, uh, to the range bed, right? Just like you have one place and everything has to belong in there. Um, and some other wardrobes, I had, for example, just like three compartments 
um, and some others can look like very, very crazy. So uh, to all the solver geeks out there, you you play fancy, crazy wardrobes, which is super tough to remember. So uh, this is pretty much just my my analogy for for giving ourselves options first, and then once we have those options, it makes it just way, way, way easier to choose like the right one for our exact piece of clothing right it's like okay if you have a a, a drawer for underwear and you find socks somewhere you know where they belong and then uh we had it actually before we started recording that podcast already the most important box or compartment to have is the one where everything else has to go into so that's just like the the most necessary one um and then it's something like you can be a little creative and build like uh fancy wardrobes every now and then if you think it really makes a difference or you can simplify and just like play the the suitcase strategy sometimes uh, and this is yeah this is the what is uh, strategy is it all about in, in in poker and in my wardrobes i love it i love it i'm 100 sure no one ever expected the podcast to start this way so that's good <laughs> so I'm sure we will get back to that later, later in the pod where I'm very curious uh, about hearing more about your teaching philosophy. Um, going back to your story, you've had uh, big successes, both live, online, cash games, MTTs, maybe even sit and go, spin and goes, I don't know. But at least from what I'm aware of, cash games, MTTs, uh, up until the highest stakes. Well, of course, just like everyone else, you know, maybe, maybe people look at you and think like, oh, he's always been there, but this is not happen over time, right? I think you wrote that it took you roughly five years to get to the higher stakes, which actually compared to people around me and people that we've asked so far, I would say it's actually on the shorter side. I often see six, seven, maybe even eight. So maybe also curious to see why it took you a little bit shorter than others. Um, I wanted to start off with a, with a quote, or at least actually I'm quoting you here. I love being better at something than others. And I'm very competitive. Okay. Now, we, me and Adam, we were immediately very curious when the first signs of this competitive showed up. I was imagining young goose, you know, in kindergarten, trying to outbuild blocks with the other kids, trying to build bigger sand castles. Was that kind of where it started? or? I mean, I have to go back to um, me having an older brother, I guess. And beating him was the major goal of like anything that you could do. So right now, um, I'm just remembering his speech. Uh, I got married this year and my brother gave a nice speech. And um, it was more like, I mean, we didn't, we weren't like living together or seeing too often the last 10 years. So he was mainly including the parts of our uh, our childhood where we just spend all the time together. And uh, uh, I just popping up in my mind is, is the reaction of a good friend that, uh, that he just, told me after the speech and like i mean i know you're a cool guy he said but oh damn i'm so happy i didn't grow up in the sontimer's house uh it's just like yeah it's that that type of guy who no one wants to play with anymore um just like random board games um yeah uh i don't know my mom probably still thinks that I'm just lucky, but you know, it's like as poker is is like Carcassonne isn't the game of luck either. Right? Like I had like one one uh, other guy in the neighborhood who was like similarly com competitive, and we were like having those big lists for I don't know what's the English name for like settlers of Catan, something like that. Uh, we have, mm -hmm. I think it's like the score is still like two fifty three to two twenty seven in my favor, like stuff like that. Uh, so it's really that. The, the joy of really 
analyzing something that you can influence, but it's just a game for fun for others. It's like like that. Um, so I think this started mainly mainly board games um, and especially just like having an older brother who just, I mean, naturally is ahead in anything to start off with. Um, but and that that translates over transfers over to to like school and anything so like I wanted to be like better at reading better at math better at anything like in that talking about like the age of like five six when you like even before school and stuff like that so this is where I guess it all starts and um, it's just I don't know always was a driving force so fun family reunions with Christmas Katan comes out and then it's like oh Everybody like wanting a, to win. I don't know for uh, maybe maybe a little um, a great game for everyone who loves poker out there is a uh, Camel Cup. Did you ever hear of that? Camel Cup? No, I Camel haven't. Cup. That's actually like you are following. It's like it plays like the role is in, in Egypt and it's like a camel racing, but you are not the camel that is racing and you are like rolling the dice or anything. You are actually uh, someone who is betting on how the race ends, and then there is like fancy movements the camels can do, but in the end, it's just like. EV equations and I'm I think it's very very low variance if you play it really with um sorry mom sorry dad with like really really big whales right it's like I think it's like I'm still like winning 19 out of 19 of those it's and it's like we play four people so it should more be like 25% win rate but uh this is a great game for everyone who who likes beating others this remembers me of my christmas i played the game coop I don't know if you know it, C-O-U-P. I think, I'm not sure. It's a full-on bluffing game, basically. And my initial read was, my mom does not bluff. My dad, however, used a different strategy where he was trying to pick up my mother's bluffs, but obviously she never bluffed, which was quite obvious. So the, definitely the typical the, not doing anything yourself, but then catching everything. It's like, yeah. Yes, I mean, I, I, I started off bluffing straight away. I immediately knew my wife, my mom, they would just never say you're bluffing. So I would just go for the for the biggest bluffs that I could find straight away. Uh, and I was 100% sure that they were not bluffing. My dad was quite kamikaze. He in, in his wardrobe, he had only that draw where there was just everything, basically. I just, I, I just remember the, the first time uh, with my with my now now wife when I met their family or like we went on, on vacation together for the first time at some point and they obviously needed to play a poker tournament with me. So we made like the most hyper sit and go I could create in a way. Um, and yeah, like her mom was was the end boss. I tried to play like a somewhat reasonable strategy, um, like short, uh, but you know, she got me heads up. It's like the, the 30 big blinds um, race call with king five off. You just don't see it coming. And then it's like the... I, I just blew up with pocket force. I still remember this one. So the, the trophy still belongs to her and uh, we didn't play ever since. Do you sometimes notice from yourself when you just play a, a regular game with friends that you maybe, you know, sometimes tell yourself, come on, Stefan, you don't have to be that competitive now in this game, at in this environment. You have to hold yourself back sometimes. Uh, that's I, I think like uh, I have others telling me that, that it's like we can just play for fun. We're like, Yes, that's true. It's like, and I don't mind losing at all, actually. Um, it's like really that, but the game for me is is the joy is in figuring out what's the best move and not just like sitting there and rolling the dice and see what happens next. So it's like, if you ask me to to like play bad, you're killing the fun for me. It's like, I mean, 
I don't know. It's not like I'm I'm like the super try hard when like or I'm I'm not counting the cards or numbers or whatever is part of the game uh, when it's just like a, a casual thing there. Uh, definitely not. But still, when I look at what's my next move, I try to make a move that makes sense in a way. Yeah, you're like our, our brain is just analytical, right? When we look at the game that we're playing, whichever game, we're immediately trying to figure out how the game works, what the best strategy is. Yeah. Like sometimes I do have conflict though when it's like, hmm, this is probably the best thing to do, but it would hurt my wife's game significantly. And then I have to choose between, you know, getting the like, Latin fire uh, like out there thing, or winning. Uh, I started uh, like uh, kind of a, have a routine now for, for a couple of years now. Um, giving us as Christmas presents to the family uh, cooperative games. It's like that we can play together and we win together or lose together. That's like a, a different thing. It's like those zero-sum games where one wins uh, and mm -hmm. one loses. Just like me kind of trying to succeed always hurts others at the same time. While in those type of games, it actually gives them maybe maybe more fun if we as a team win the whole show then. So it's, uh, it's like, uh, yeah, this is the... Maybe a little recommendation for everyone suffering from those problems. Yeah, if, if I have to choose to play a co-op game and my wife is involved, I usually go for the co-op game because she's very competitive, I'm very competitive. Doesn't really end well. You tried, uh, we tried Pandemic the other time. You, you played it? Mm -hmm. No. Nope. It's like, a, it's quite, you know, given there's a little pandemic going around. It's basically you as a team, everyone gets a certain role and you have to together make sure that Various diseases don't spread to the world. So maybe okay. a good suggestion for next Christmas, Pandemic. It's a good, uh, good co-op game as well. Um, you also mentioned that uh, what attracted you, I mean, you already mentioned that like strategic games, that, that's kind of what attracts you, right? The strategic side. Uh, with poker, it was also the combination that you could play it for money. What do you think adding money to the table adds to a game? It's... It's like keeping track. It's like in the end, it's just like the next level of putting down the results in a list with my buddies. Right? It's like if I just play and we forget it, it's like, okay, it's over. But right, this is what, I mean, it means something that I still remember, uh, like that that I'm ahead 20 games in the in the Settlers of Catan match, right? It's like, and we played that when we were, we were like, I was 12 and he 14 was like our peak time of that, I, I would say. So it's like, Something like that, and and this is just yeah, just just tracking tracking in the end. So it's really like you have the the proof or or longer feeling for that. Yes, you are you are good at that. Um, is is pretty nice. Like it was never like the money itself. I think I didn't like the start of my career. I never cashed out anything. I never. I mean, we are talking really about like uh, pocket money here until the the full tilt crash. I think I, I'll yeah. I think the first thing was like I needed a new. Um, desktop so I, I cashed out something because this has to be an investment from my poker role I didn't have any like, I mean I was I was a student I didn't have any real money it was like three digit uh, somewhere maybe um, and and yeah so that was really it's more of a high score um, than than anything else okay so just a way a, w a way to keep score I, so you were not like me I remember the first couple of times when I won money it immediately got cashed out and spent it no way. No, no. I'm not a spender. Very conservative guy. Okay. This probably has also helped you uh, along your career. At, at which point you said, you know, you, you would cash out some money, buy a computer, cash out some money, just for necessary things. At yeah. which point were you like, hey, I can actually buy quite a lot of new computers with all the money that I'm winning 
maybe it's, maybe I could consider doing this full time. It's a, it's a great feeling that you could buy that stuff, right? Um, but it's it's yeah, it's like what what does it give to you? So it's like okay, if it is an investment in like your future career or anything, it's like I always love the freedom that comes with it. Like I don't have to look in the bank account when I think about my next vacation. Like okay, can we do this or that? Like I still have that feeling just because I was always like I always had the friends in a non-poker environment around me. I, I know there are lots of people who kind of lost track of like what normal things costs in a way when they are traveling like Vegas and everything. And like, for me, it's, I don't know. I think it's expensive to spend like a hundred dollars on an average bad meal for, for, for a dinner. Like, it's like, okay, you get the same thing plus the dessert for, for 15 euros in, in like where I'm from. So it's like, Hmm. That just so like something like that, people lose lose track of that. And uh, I think I was always doing a good job, like still being okay with that. And then um, the first main decision point I had was uh, I was just playing on the side when when doing uni and uh, was like really having that that thought, okay, instead of playing the video games that just kill my time and are some somewhat fun, I just play poker instead, which um, yeah gives me maybe an opportunity for the future. That was never that it's like super super clear, um, and uh, and is fun for me as well. If it's not just like the biggest downswing of all times, so um, yeah, that was then the first time where I finished uh, finished my bachelor's degree, where the question was, do I go for the master, um, keep studying like that, do it like. I don't know, 50, 50, 70, 30, whatever it is, or do I try this poker thing? And uh, then I remember just like, a, I don't know whether every one of us had that, but like one talk uh, with like, I yeah, with uh, it was with my uncle actually, uh, who just asked that question, which I asked, uh, I keep asking for lots of things in life. It's like, which option would you regret if you don't do it? It's like that, okay, you could do your master's degree in somewhat engineering, you will end up with like a nice job career, see yourself in 10 years, I will definitely regret not trying that poker thing, right? Being stuck in a job that is probably good, uh, well paid, I'm having good life. I think I, that was like the path I was going. Um, or the other way around, we're like, okay, do you try the poker thing really? Would you ever regret trying that? Like looking back and then no, like the way back was so easy. Like, okay, then I maybe lost a year where like, I think lost is a totally wrong word. Um, and then I go back to what I did before. Um, and this was like, like after thinking about it in that way, it was like the clearest decision of all times. And then it were at the same time that was um, 2014, like all the circumstances coming together that I met Fedor, Reiner, Ben in, in Canada. And then they wanted to go to, to Brighton to have a flat there. So I was like, just, just going there. Um, my just desktop turned out that was weird <laughs> i had a black screen for a second so um yeah and that was just like it was made very very easy for me to just say like oh, let's go i join you and um that's where everything like the real poker career then started you mentioned like if you if it, let's say for example you tried it you said it's not really lost that year that you would try it's not really lost what do you mean with that I mean, you try something out, you learn things. Uh, it's like other people go abroad for a year and have like so many new impressions. I guess even when like you don't or I wouldn't succeed in poker at that time, you still learn a lot about life. If I make the decision 
moving to England to try something out, to be your own boss? I mean, how in that world can you not end up like smarter than before or learning life lessons in a way? Yeah, so it's like the you either win or you learn mentality. Exactly. It's like, it's not that success in the life sense doesn't necessarily uh, correlate 100% with, with poker success uh, financially in that, in that moment. Oh, yeah, that, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. So basically, you started out playing poker mainly for the strategic aspect. You just really liked the game. When you turned sort of pro, did you have any sort of aspirations or was it just like you take it one stake at a time or were you like, no, I'm going to make a million dollar playing poker or no, what was like, like your, your, your driving force? What were like your goals starting out? It's like being good or like what, I mean, what actually is the same uh, with like all other things before, like sports. I never tried to, I don't know, accelerate there anywhere and, and play like higher. I, I wasn't like really good at something. So I always kept at a level, uh, stayed at a level where I was like, I was like mainly winning. So this was the same in my poker career. I was that guy like before moving up to NL 500, I wanted to make sure to have like the most crushing graph on NL 200 for, I don't know, let's make it better 200,000 hands than 100,000 hands. That was, that was pretty much more my approach. Um, and I was enjoying that and like that, that, I mean, obviously that steady income and like doing maybe some calculations in my head, what that might lead to. There was still the, the time of Supernova Elite back then where like, oh, if I make it up to those stakes, I can, I can target that. And that would be like, that would be incredible, obviously. Um, and it was like really step by step like that, really moving up the levels um, where maybe the next part of the story is really where that ends where actually there was like a certain level where i could play pretty much everything if i think it's it's worth it um but then it was easy to lose the fire again like obviously you can move up to like and then have the bankroll for i don't know nl20k and and stuff like that but this is just well this is a process over time making all the money it's like not that well back then if you play zoom 500 as a regular or zoom 1k you can select any tables there are if there is a good table running. So there was like no new level you can achieve anymore. And that was the first time where I was like, yeah, pretty much I'm just sitting around waiting for action and really doing in a way a normal job because there is not that that fire like pushing you up anymore. Um, and yeah. I was, I was poker different after that happened compared to before that happened. So you were really chasing up the level, always looking up, what's the next step, what's the next step? And then at some point, you know... Yeah, it was really... You were um, like, okay, that's not really a next step? Yeah. Did um, it really demotivate you? Not in what I did, definitely. So, um, I mean, I was doing Supernova Elite for two years there. And um, the like the driving main driving force was really reaching those goals, like collecting those VPP, right? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Having, like, I remember... The first year I managed to finish it like December 22nd and the other one I was done by December 15th and could take like whole Christmas off. That felt great. Um, and then there was actually that year where um, they fucked up the, the SNEs um, and, and took all that away on stars, like the VIP program. So uh, it was like, okay, that was everything I did. And hmm, what now? I think that was 2016. And this is actually where another coincidence that just like that was the time Fedor already won everything and he just like was kept talking to us like you guys you need to start all those high rollers you need to play that everyone is super shit there let's just crush that show now like okay 
let's let's try that out pretty much uh, i was not never really into live poker um but it was yeah in a way a, a coincidence that like okay supernova elite is not there uh, i i mean big scripting was a was a uh, was the thing back then everyone like running a script uh, having like multiple sites open i never did that i actually i was i was too cheap to buy a proper computer so my, my computer was not ready to run something like that and i just like and the worst when it comes to both hardware software i'm like my grandma probably could could uh could help me here with with uh what what i need needs to be done on the computer right just like if i tuned in here and my sound was not working i've, I've no clue what to do like really that 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 kind of shitty with it uh so that was ne never my thing so i always stuck to playing way more i played afternoon pool zoom 500 where everyone knew he's not really winning <laughs> like it's it's like but and we could play like search for a good table in nl 1k 2k but apparently it's like really really bad players getting the best seats um and i would never get into it i could battle for open seating but then at the same time it's like i like taking breaks so if I want to make a break every 90 minutes, I lose all regular tables, which is like, yeah, then it's not really worth fighting for it. So that was it. That like, yeah, that cash game career back then was, I don't know, <laughs> didn't work out or I was like not really looking interesting uh, ahead or I needed to change uh, how I did things. And then, yeah, that that all those life things came in between. And uh, yeah, I kept, I started traveling with, uh, with the guys uh, that I guess most of you know out there. So actually, you chose uh, more. You preferred the comfort of the of the Zoom grind, uh, because obviously I was uh, active, uh, very active back at that time as well. And I never really played Zoom. I was mainly playing the the higher stakes and the, and the scripting. And it, it was indeed what you said. Like a lot of bad players got the tables, which I actually always thought was great. Right? Usually the the worst players are technically they still try to find a way to make good money. Right? That, so they uh... specialize in other areas. Like for example, okay, I get. I get the fastest. I, I put a server next to the server of PokerStars and Eyes of Men. Play from there, and it scripts me in every game. Which I was like, okay, wow, the the, the worst players have the best scripts. Yeah, this is amazing. And I was maybe battling out for tables. So, uh, but it's it's really that I love the video you made about that kind of FIFA cards system, like rating system yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. Where you need to understand that everyone is different and takes like it's like not that everyone is trying to maximize the same thing. It's really like, exactly. yes, it's about the money. But in that moment, I was definitely not trying to maximize the money outcome. I loved playing. So it's like, I'm not sitting around for two hours to then get a good table on 5K. Would definitely make me more money back then, but I would hate life. Like sitting there, maybe even, I mean, who are those guys? Uh, who's that that uh, guy from, from Israel who is like, even like his alarm clock set to, to everything, who was just like really the biggest, uh, cool, cool 1992. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Nine. Yeah, well, like, he had he, all the tricks in the book. Shopping further away than 200 meters from his flat because like 24-7 everything is running there and he gets like a phone call pretty much if someone joins like one of the whale tables and it's like, and I'm like, this, I mean, this is the worst thing for me. I want to sit down. I want to play because I, yeah. And if I, if I see a nice graph, whatever stakes in the end, that gives me something that gives me more than, than, yeah making infinite money it's like yeah we'll probably come back to that to the to that point as well we're like it's yeah not at that point but later it's it's a question about what do you want to get from life what what do you enjoy uh do you try to like i mean there are people with like 
infinite money in the bank probably still like trying to make more out of it where like once you know how you think your life you want it to look like like then that is just unnecessary pretty much right we're like i'm the yeah i will have at some point a nice house in a in a little village somewhere and enjoy life there uh and do stuff that i like we're like yeah i don't need the uh infinite money for that so it's really a, a different tri driving forces for everyone where it's it's fun to think about it in the poker sense because uh just figuring that out about someone helps you so much to understand all the decisions we're like yes if you're just maximizing money i took the totally wrong career path yeah i can uh, i can i can relate to that a little bit as well but i think the main takeaway from this is that it's very important to understand what is your motivation in poker right because there were also, I'm sure, a lot of players that were maybe choosing like the same approach as you, but were not as conscious about it. And then afterwards felt very bad. Oh, I wish I would have made more money in poker. Uh, you understand? Then it's not a conscious decision. And then you end up doing things and feel a little bit unsatisfied at the end, which, you know, in the end, it's is obviously not really the goal. Absolutely. I have so many names uh, in, in mind from like back back in the day, Zoom 500, where like most of them are playing high stakes now or were playing and now just like seeing after a year, I had that just like financial regrets in a way. Yes, I was I was probably putting in five times the hours or three times or double, I don't know, um, to get out like whatever uh, S&E makes pretty much um, with some added winnings. And then I look up the graphs from Invoker and Iceman. I guess you know those two na names. They, Iceman, yes, of They course. stopped playing 500 and we were like one level, like crushing those Zoom pools. And they just started scripting, playing all the five good 5K tables. And then I looked it up like, okay, he made a million there. He made a million there. And I'm like, yes, I got my 200K in rake back, plus a little winnings, probably playing like two times the hours at least. Um, definitely like more than five times the hands. We're like, yes, mm, that was like one point where I could regret things. But if I'm honest with myself, I did. So it's like, uh, yeah, definitely like I did that. That 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 is very good. Uh, then you made the right decisions at that moment. Yeah, it's just like I'm so sure. Uh, mm -hmm. It 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 shouldn't yep. be about like uh, I mean definitely this this shouldn't be like whining about like you could make like smarter decisions if you take like different like I mean for different people that is just like smarter to do the one thing, but it's really that that consciousness about what you enjoy, what you want to get out of it, uh, what you are playing doing it for. Um, I think this is very, very important. So like just, just knowing that about yourself. Hey, I'm a big advocate just as you to ask a lot of questions, right? There's no, it, it really depends on what your definition of success is and you try to reach that, that's that definition of success for yourself. Yeah. But often people don't really think about it and then they just copy what other people are doing. Right? They copy what the general poker population is saying, right? And then you end up just going somewhere without really knowing what you want out of it. Um, I'm sure Adam uh, has been silently waiting on the sidelines. Well, also has a lot of questions. I mean, there was a lot of goodness in here. Any any questions for Stefan so far, Adam? Yeah, many questions. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to bring it back to the start when you start your poker career. So I've got the image of you being very competitive with your older brother in particular. You graduate from uni. And then you decide that you're going to take a, a chance on poker and give it a go full time. Was there any skills you developed in the past or any life experiences that you developed that allowed you to have confidence that it was going to work out? Anything you, you developed at that point? 
I mean, I think I developed it throughout my poker career, like while playing next to uni. I mean, you can see it actually in my uni grades. Um, I mean, I was always like one of those guys where everything is easy in school, like uh, um, did that well. And then I started pretty, pretty good off in uni as long as I kept working for it. And then it was like that switch. Okay, poker got more interesting. And then I only like learn as much to exactly pass the exams, which was like not going there and learning for one week was pretty much the line for most of the, of the majors. And, um, and yeah, so that was, I was then making that decision. It was like, if we, if we are honest, it was more like 95% it's, it's working. And I know that I can make, um, amount X, um, and uh, yeah, I'd like, I don't know, maybe something I developed before is really that trying to, to always understand the bigger picture. We're like, okay, I'm like, there's lots of unclarity in, in the world of poker, how it will develop breakback systems, where is it allowed, where not, um, et cetera. How, what, how do you, can you do something with the money in the end? Or is it like some kind of uh, semi-illegal money that is lying around? So stuff like that. Um, and I remember that still back from school where I guess I like my motivation was not to make the, the best abitur. It was more like um, making the somewhat okay, reasonable best abitur possible with really least amount of effort. So like I'm the guy who's just like that, like before those last two years of school, we get handed out like one thing where everything is explained how it counts exactly into your well degree that that everyone sees in the end where no one had a clue they were just like doing that and i'm like okay it's like i i know i need to choose either music or uh, art but out of the four semesters only two of those count so obviously i found a smart way because i'm super shit at both of that um to like find a way around that i have like uh i don't know we have a, a point system up to 15 15 is best so i finished like i took arts and one time I just did like a, a presentation and something in, in, in one of the, of the semesters where we actually didn't have an, uh, didn't have like big art to do ourselves. We had like one exam that is fine. We learned something. I can do that. And I do a presentation to get that extra degree. So I ended up with 13 points there and another one with 13 points. And the others were like six and five, like just, but like having that consciousness where to put the effort in to really succeed in that way. It was the, the option to have like yeah, an optional extra subject, which was um, informatics. We're like, yes, that was just super chilled and easy. Just a fun round with with like eight geeky guys. And everyone's just like smashing it. And like by using that, I could just like all the other bullshit subjects for, in my eyes didn't have to count. Like zero courses of religion where like I told like the first first lesson that teacher i hated him i told him like i don't give a fuck because i know it doesn't like that kind of stuff where this is um yeah relating to to poker as well just like finding i mean being a little after the best break back then like finding some ways and then cons like consistency with like uh, pushing things through um yeah that's that's maybe something you can take as that yeah I like that. It sounds like you've always been able to see the bigger picture and then navigate your way to that endpoint in a kind of concisive way rather than just doing actions, home to get to somewhere. You've already thought it through and spent some time. So for yourself, when you first got into poker, what were some of the initial early goals you set yourself? Did you have any initial little milestones that you wanted to reach early in your career? Um, I mean, first, I just started uh trying out in the very beginning right someone told me hey you can get those fee uh, 50 free bucks there and then let's go from there and i was like oh there are strategy articles about that 
And then I first tried like a short stack strategy that you played with 20 bigs, then a mids, and I tried like what is working, what makes sense until then, like really um, getting into it and enjoying the theory behind it, watching the videos of like, I mean, super shit plays back then, obviously, but it was like still, yeah, that was great. And, and that, that got me hooked in a way. Um, and then it was really just like that level by level. So I, I remember probably like the, the worst moment in my career where I really like when I got up to NL 50 at one point, um, it was like, I don't know, 20, 25 stack bankroll management. So I had a thousand dollar on my account. I played NL 50 and I lost like, I don't know, just like enough that I couldn't play NL 50 anymore. Just like, I mean, just losing five stacks in a session or something. And then like, okay, I had that moment, which I usually do not have too much. Uh, like that that classic tilt moment, move up NL two hundred heads up it is, uh, just to to win it back. Um, and uh, yeah, luckily that went well. But this is pretty much the only thing. I guess other people have way more of that, or like how often did you go broke, or etc. I I could stick to plan if if I learn from a site that seems reasonable that twenty five stack bankroll management is the thing. I look at my bankroll, and if it's not. If it's not $1,250, well, then I play NL25 or just add like one, one table of NL50 and like sticking to those, like, again, setting frameworks, a little like the wardrobe, right? Setting frameworks and then sticking to those instead of like creating a new crazy, crazy box because I think it's the best thing I can do now, like really taking emotions um, out of the gameplay, even though I hate, uh, I, I love, I love, uh, I love uh, whining and flaming, and is like other people might think I'm the biggest tilt box in the uh, in the world, but I think I, I I have a good way of letting it out somewhere else and and not put it into into what I click on the tables actually. Besides some Ace Five suited gems, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, GTO, GTO. So yeah, when I've been doing a bit of research on you and listening to your podcast. I've always found that there hasn't been many noticeable obstacles. It almost feels like you've had this kind of progression where you've almost just like every opportunity has just been a learning progression, next level, and very calculated and very almost like linear. So for you, like looking back on your career, were there any kind of big obstacles that you faced, any moments where you were doubting either yourself or the path you were on? It feels like you've always had this good self-awareness to navigate your space. But was there any moments where you hit a roadblock or hit a wall where that wasn't true for you? Um, actually not really in the, in the cash game sense, because they are obviously at times you feel like, okay, you need some new input to progress. Maybe it's just a downswing where I really have that image in mind of like that awesome looking nice overall graph where obviously if you zoom in for like, and choose a certain 20,000 hands, you might feel like the worst player of all times. Just like those, those typical upswings and downswings. And this is what I try to do myself to really have that all right, let's freaking zoom out and then everything looks nice again. So mm -hmm. this is this is obviously something. Um, so I never played like those many normal tables or heads up. I never had those, like people are talking about Nemesis or I can't play this guy or he's fucking me up. I obviously have that feeling in the zoom pool as well, but this is, I guess, something that people get annoyed by. So just by playing so much zoom, um, I didn't have that. And then actually the cash career, always went, went kind of smooth um, just because I'm so so nitty in a way with make not with like the the, the money investment but with the uh, making sure that I beat that table so I was like even if I think that table is okay 
Um, and I don't know why they are battling now. And I think I'm better than like four of the five players on the table. Um, sometimes that was the case. I was like, no, that's not worth it. So I was like, really, I'm, Zoom was another thing, but then choosing tables is like, yeah, I'm not, I want to be a hundred percent sure pretty much. Um, so I think this was a big reason then. And that definitely looked different in tournament life because they are you just, it's not under your control. So there were definitely moments where you ask yourself, does, does everything make sense? Right? It's just like uh, those others, <coughs> Fedor, um, keeps winning everything. Yeah. And then like, you think <laughs> like, okay, just like in theory, in theory, you probably play better lots of spots. Yes, there is a life element, but then in the end, um, I mean, in the first year, I could make a nice compilation out of freaking insane suckouts. Just like, just whining about preflop all ins where, yes, it was probably playing how many hands do you play live? Maybe 10,000 hands and you are like 10 stacks under EV in those 10,000 hands. That looks shit, right? We're like, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, and uh, that was something that is, that was tough. And I remember maybe one time where um, we had a, we, right? Uh, I obviously had shares and others as well. So the year I wasn't playing too much uh, where I was just like trying to get a little into live poker was 2016 after my two times SNE. And there, um, that was the the year where Reiner and Fedor chopped the Super High Roller Bowl, the 300k in Vegas. Uh, I had, what did I have, like one percent each or something like that. So it was like a 100k payday. That was, and I had n no other investment in that tournament. It, I was just like, yeah, staying with them, and that was like the sweat I had. So that was like a pretty decent tournament, and uh, that was like, and then we played like some of the Aria 25ks uh, where. I don't know what did we have like I don't know forty percent action on my own and like some ten percent swaps with like not only the Germans but like that was like the typical type of investment where it's like oh I'm out oh Stevie won it in the end so I'm even again it was like really just running like pretty much not a single losing day in those tournaments where like that was smooth and um, made not only me but others ready to just like take bigger pieces and then there was like one big trip we did that was to um, Vegas in November 2016 um, as like part of the coaching team for Kenny Hallard for the WSOP final table. Um, and then there were high rollers. From there, we flew to uh, Manila to play a Triton stop. And from there to Macau to play, I don't know whether it was Stars or another Triton stop. I don't know where. I think it was a consecutive like 45 bullets or so not cashing if i just look at like the pieces i have and my pieces that are obviously bigger were like i think i lost like a third of my role could have been more if, if i invested even more or like others got hurt a little more um where this is like i never had that before in cash right it's not possible in cash it's and it's like i think what was a big difference there because it really like was tough for me mentally at that point just like losing that amount of money that i kind of won through hard working before like my my sne money where i think it was a very very different p uh, feeling for people like fedor or reiner where like yes they they had those their moments where they probably doubled their bankroll or or even more than that right uh fedor winning what was it w coop um main event just like going from, I don't know, 100K roll to a million or something like that. I think that that helps you to not realize that money in that way. And then losing 200K doesn't hurt you. Or like 
dinking another tournament. Uh, I think like Reiner's career start was getting second in the Sunday Million in a way. We're like, it's different feeling than just like calculating your hourly and then putting the hours in pretty much. Uh, so that was the thing where like, yes, that was probably the, the toughest time where then um, I I grinded parts of it back in December online. So I had a good run there talking about the sit and goes. Shout out to the 5K turbo sit and goes on Poker Stars. And I don't... Eight Super Poker, I guess, was uh, was our VIP. So uh, shout out to him here and the the good old times there. Um, and uh, yeah, that that was probably the toughest one. And then obviously some more after then running super well for a while. Then again, I think what was it, like 2018, where I felt like I was like pretty ahead of the the tournament game. Uh, I don't know, like had the confidence because we did lots of those drafts and I was like always top three, four picks, even from like the American side picking me very, very early. Uh, so that gives you good confidence. And then just like, yeah, watching uh, Justin Bonomo win everything by just like, uh, I mean, not being 100% convinced by lots of lots of plays he did there. And just like, yeah, it's one flip, you're out. One flip, you're out. And like when you're playing the biggest one. So like just... um having that feeling of that, I don't know, one summer where you play the 300K and are the first person out um, where it was like that weird format with three bullets, just like, I don't know, one hour, three times standard all-ins, three times losing 40% plus equity. Okay, you are out. Uh, and then the next time, uh, and then like playing the the million one drop, um, flipping out there and in like a nice spot. Um, like just that, right? It's like a classic tournament whining in the end it's like playing two sundays right over the whole year um that's just what live poker is so um yeah definitely but it's like when you're not when you didn't grow up in the tournament world it's it's different uh to work with it i i guess and so there it was really really important to have uh that group of people around me just like just to like that wouldn't work out for me just sitting here on my computer i never played mtt's just like alone i love those little challenges let's Let's be like uh, five people, ten people. Let's rent a nice house and play a series uh, where, like, you you see yourself as a, as a team, even though everyone is fighting for himself. Just like locking myself here in that room to uh, to really um, grind tournaments. I I couldn't do it at all. I would like there. I would really be the biggest tilt box. Just like the the um, skill or like the the level of play you put in is just so not correlated to the outcome you get. This is something I can I can not work very well with yeah so it sounds like throughout your career you've made a lot of kind of pre-thought out almost like safety first low risk decisions that have allowed you to navigate the poker world without less less scars and obstacles than most players obviously like you said at the end when you are had a lot of action in those super high rollers you experienced a big downswing of your role but it seems like that was like an anomaly event and i think a lot of players can learn lessons from your ability to think long-term and your ability to see the bigger picture. It sounds like perhaps at times you uh, could have been playing higher stakes with, with your role and you chose to grind out of higher win rates at the stakes you were playing, but going back to like your kind of personality type and how you uh, kind of set your goals and targets for poker, it sounds like that's a good fit for you. So they kind of lower kind of EV options sometimes, but it's safety first and it's going to lead to a more solid outcome or more secure outcome. So yeah, very interested in that part. I just want to segue a little bit into uh, your background in sports because I've got a sports science well, degree just, myself. I, I, want, I want to add to that because I think it's 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 really important that it comes back again to what you want to get from life, right? I I had the same like there's 
if you take from like the German crew, if you pick one or like ask everyone who is the person with the least chance of going broke, it's like 10 out of 10 people will pick me, right? This is just how I am. But at the same time, it's like, who is the, the last person who has a shot at like making, I don't know, 10 million plus, it will be me as well, right? It's just like that. What do you want to get from life? Is your goal like a little house and a nice family and, and, and living, a, is, if, is that a great life for you? Well, then my approach is probably better. If you want to want to eat out in like three-star restaurants every day and fly from like Dubai to Vegas to Melbourne and like tell, take take a private jet if possible, yeah, then different, right? So if like we especially watch the, the super high-roller scene, it's like all those people who really made the money there, they had the risk to pretty much lose a lot as well. Or, I mean, we don't know see those people too much. We're like, start of Fedor is like, winning the super high or like winning the super high ball, having shares and Reiner as well, having that. And then obviously firing harder the whole summer to just ending it up with winning the hundred K we're like, I don't know how big his piece was, but ridiculously big compared to what I would take personally, with probably the same bankroll at that point of time. So some, it's really that it's just like an, an equation. What is like, you can, you can set your goals. Do you want to gamble for, for like having infinite money? whatever infinite means to you or like want to have a high chance to achieve what you want to achieve or you just need to know that where same thing we see in the crypto market right now right if someone is telling me um yeah i'd like at one at one like this is the the high roller tournament talk at the table yeah i was like i was up to like 20 million in crypto and now i have like 2 million left and i'm like what the fuck like what is wrong with you like did you really need to gamble that up? I mean, if you go from 20 to two, it just means that you try to have the chance to make a hundred. We're like this 20 and hundred is for the life I wish to lead is not, not a difference at all. Right. So it's like you, like in my value system, he was risking everything to win nothing in a way. We're like, uh, yeah. yes. Um, but this is now where you need to know more about your, your value system. So that was just, it fits all together in, in my picture, at least. So, um, okay. Okay. Can I add on that? Like, like there's also, in my opinion, and some people did see this different. Like, let's say for example, you have a hundred K. Okay. And you know, you're still young. You might gamble it up, you know, because going from a hundred K to 1 million, that's definitely, yeah, it changes your life quite significantly. Right. But let's say someone already has, two, three million. Are you really going to put that on the line to make 20 million? It's like, you know, to get back to that two, three million is quite, is quite hard. To get back to 100K from zero is it's a little bit easier. But, you know, you have way more to lose, right? It's it's the thing. I mean, it's just like, uh, I mean, I, I wrote, I mean, everyone who is more interested into that, like check out like something like prospect theory, just making choices between things. Um, and that is, I mean, it's just so important to know what you want to get. Like other people look at me and think like, okay, what the fuck is that a boring life you want to lead? I mean, I need this and that. Like, let's talk to Bryn Kenny, right? It's like, he doesn't care whether he's like a negative 3 million. He still tries to gamble it up to 20 plus because this is what he probably needs for the lifestyle he imagines he wants to lead. So, uh, so it's like, everyone's different. And I think that's, that's totally, totally fine in a way as well. Yeah, yeah, there is no right or wrong. There is only what works for you and what is in line with your goals. <laughs> yeah. So I'm intrigued. What is your value system and how did you uh, 
start to unravel and sort of find out the things you do value. So I think for a lot of us, we're kind of dragged multiple directions. We're often influenced by our parents, society, our friends around us. And we think we want success, the money, the, the big achievements. It's very hard to actually know what makes us happy. It sounds like from quite an early age, or at least early in your poker career, you had a clear value system and you could actually weigh up the pros and cons and who you wanted to be. So uh, yeah, just curious, what is your current kind of value system and how do you navigate the temptations around that? Yeah, it's definitely something I learned throughout the poker career. So before, I mean, I had a great childhood in a little village in the Black Forest. So it's like, yeah, you couldn't imagine anything better, at least for me. And um, and then I've, I've, I've seen the wide world pretty much, or at least it feels like I had the potential to do anything I wanted uh, throughout my poker career, just like by traveling so much. And um, I had like that one moment of realization, especially where um, I, I could never stay like seven weeks straight in Vegas. So the summer I always split it up in, in two trips and um, and flew flew back home for like a two, two week vacation in like June in Europe, which is the best time anyways. Uh, and I mean, we all know it, like what, I, I don't know whether, whether, uh, whether Rene knows for a certain years, but like watching the world cup, you know, it's like cooler when you do it, not at 9am. So it's, it's like stuff like that. And there, um, I found out, like, I had a talk with a friend of mine there just like, and, and, uh, she was asking me, um, like where my next wild trips, where my next vacation, she was asking for a next vacation, where my next wild vacation goes to. And I'm like, uh not at all. like this year right this year is my vacation sitting here and like in my home base where i feel home just like uh making a bike tour with you here and and and, and eating ice cream that's like the perfect vacation coming down and like she expected more like yes then i fly to australia and do on a go on a crazy trip there that was the first moment where i really realized hey this is what i if i can't choose what i do right now it was that thing and i chose that and the other thing was um being actually it was new year's eve i guess or just the time between christmas and new year's eve um where i had such a bad feeling about having to go to the bahamas soon it was a it's a very very bad flights to there just because of like how the time zones and like the the when when the planes are allowed to start to just do it all in in one trip um and uh, I had to get up, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning, January 3rd, to fly to the Bahamas. And I was talking about it like really as if it was a must and a bad thing. Where I think in a way it's not okay to talk like that about flying to the Bahamas in January. It's just like if it feels like that, something is going wrong. And this is pretty much where I made the, the decision that this is not my... It's cool and great and I don't want to miss anything of, of what I had there. But it's not where I see myself. Where... Uh, I don't know, I have others in mind, let's say, uh, yeah, I had a great talk with Nick Petrangelo. Um, like, uh, we got super wasted as we both like lots of beer. And um, and then we we had like, we went to a steakhouse and had like, I don't know, one of the, I don't know, like men's talk in a way, just sitting there for three hours talking about life. And he's like, to me, like, I love that so much, just playing a game, traveling the world and doing what I really love. I want to do that for the rest of my life. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Not at all. Like, just like, and this is just how people are, are, are different. And this is where throughout there were many more lessons where it's really that moment where you realize, okay, what, what is your, what are your actual goals? Like, where's the, yeah, where, where do feelings start to come in, for example? And I always had that with being home. Um, I think like I lived in Vienna for a while and there's like, um, it's the best city I've ever lived in and it's the greatest place. And I would uh, highly recommend it to everyone. But it, 
will never feel home for me, which is just like, I don't know, it's a, it's a feeling. I don't know whether it comes from the childhood or it's just someone, someone is like that. Some other is not. Um, so it's, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got this almost like sat nav system where you're always listening to how you're feeling in certain environments and rather than like prejudging, you're almost curious, oh, why am I feeling this way about this situation? Like the Bahamas one must've been a bit of a red flag moment where you're like, wait a second, I should be super excited to go to the Bahamas. Why am I not feeling that? And rather than trying to push through that, that's a good warning sign to listen. Wait a second. Maybe I don't want to be traveling as much. Maybe I want to be home and not judging it. I think that's a really, uh, again, self-awareness keeps coming up when I'm thinking about how you're navigating your, your world. Yeah, it's really that, I mean, that it's, I really have that moment sometimes. I don't know whether you have that as well, that it's like that you know what you want to say, but then already your, your mind says like, it's, it's like, I want to express a feeling, right? That was like that, that time of the year where you meet lots of old good friends and like people I can talk really honest with. Where like it's like some others you you think it through before what you what you really say a little more and there's like I, I was just like talking from out and but this was a moment where like can I really say that like even to a good friend is it okay to just like be a little whiny now about the problem of flying to the Bahamas where I decided it's not okay um, I still did but like kept kept that in mind yeah yeah I can get that it's so always trying to judge like the our groups and our environments are they almost ready for this version of me? Can I just, is this a problem that they're going to uh, reflect on? Yeah. And obviously Bahamas, I'm not sure many people would um, yeah. classify that as a problem. Or, like yeah, they just turn around, like what a fucking idiot talking to the next, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I quickly want to segue into uh, your background in sport and how that came about. It sounds like it's always been a big part of your life, maybe competing with your brother. So yeah, tell me through your kind of background in sport, which sports you like the most. And did, was there any crossover from the things you were learning in sport that were useful for you as a poker player? Um, I mean, I always loved sports. I was not really good at it, though. Um, so just on the local level. So I started doing um, track and field. Athletics um, was the first thing. Then I, I played uh, table tennis. And then it was like back and forth uh, playing football as well. So uh, the other two things were like the main things were, I don't know, age, I don't know, 10 to 14 i was like winning lots of stuff in the um like lo on local level in like uh, athletics just running and like jumping and all kinds of stuff where there was the the point with like 14 where all the others of my age group um grew up faster uh faster so it was really like i was a kid and then like running versus men or that and they just like all of a sudden jump a meter wider and then it stopped winning where like i learned for the first time okay then it's no fun anymore for me pretty much so it, I felt I tried maybe for another year and uh, I was I was like pretty much uh, starting very late to to then I mean I was I was like uh, you can't imagine now with like uh, me being pretty tall but back then I was one of the of the small guys um, and it was really that um, yeah so I lost the fun for it pretty much so then I took that and put it more into table tennis then where okay I, I succeeded up to a certain level where like I was never, I was just for my, for my local home club there. I could go to the, yeah, club one village further. That is like, uh, I don't know, their, their first team plays second Bundesliga or something. And they like are really putting, putting effort in their work with the, the with the uh, young guys. Uh, where like, I'm like, no, I just chill with my guys and we play like the, the random bullshit league, but we end up winning it. So it's like fine. Right. It's like, it's like more of that, uh, more like that. And then same, I mean, Football, I, I never grew up like playing football for all the time, so there was no shot. But I, that was more for like the 
the people, but then I'm up for anything, right? It's now like still for, for Vienna. I like playing volleyball, basketball, everything. It's like, not that I, I was really good at, at anything. It was just always a big part of, of my life where I at least had like five to six times week uh, per week, something, something going. Um, and that is just something that, again, like that reflecting at some point in my life, I thought about like, why did I never try to be better? Or like really that what we described in the beginning, I just enjoyed like playing other people that are not good and then being slightly better. Uh, just like with that team, it's just, uh, yeah, you go out and celebrate and whether you do that five leagues higher uh, on another level, it's like whatever, right? It's like really, you can compare it to poker. It's like, why not? If you if you are enjoying your home game round and you keep winning there a little uh, and play for for pennies and enjoy it, that's the perfect thing to to stick to. And uh, and uh, yeah, in poker it, it took me that it's really like bringing more things together than that. I guess my um, yeah, I, I mean it's like physics and not how you say it. Uh, like my what I'm good at is just fits way better to poker than, than to sports. So it's like, I think I had a chance to really uh, succeed a little more. Um, but yeah, I think that that all fits a little together. Yeah. Yeah. I think it fits in nicely to your competitive nature and playing board games with your brother sports, like one of the, the best things we can do when we're younger to compete. And like you said before, you like to win. I'm, I'm curious to come back at some point to uh understanding how you deal with losses because often i find people who are highly competitive have struggles with losses and and yeah basically the kind of conflict of not winning it doesn't seem like that holds true for you but we'll explore that a little bit later but yeah it seems like your competitive nature has kind of taken you uh, down different paths from yeah, like board games to sports now to poker which is probably the, the ultimate fit for your your personality and your goals so yeah very interesting this podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition, where me and Adam have created our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker. After having reached high stakes poker ourselves, we tested out this philosophy on our CFP students, which saw them rise through the ranks and double their win rate. We then took the best knowledge of that CFP program and turned it into the mechanics of poker so you can have that high quality content without the long-term commitment and often hefty price that comes with a CFP program. Now I will be teaching you the technical side of how poker really works, how to think about the game and how to consistently get better. And Adam focuses on the mindset and performance skills you need to know in order to convert all that technical poker knowledge into more consistent profits at the table. Now this program is high level. It's made for professional poker players who have the ambition to break free from mid stakes and move up to high stakes poker. So if you're ambitious about your poker goals, go over to pokerambition.com for more information. And there you can also find a free one hour demo of everything that is inside the program. If you have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But without further ado, let's get back to more goodness in this episode. Rene, I know you've been taking some notes there. I think you want to dive in with any questions that we've been talking about. Oh, it was funny that you that 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 you actually said I don't want to ask you in terms of losing because like yeah, it's very clear you like to win and you try to stay sort of in your comfort zone, which is in line with your values, right? Because you don't need necessarily the very big inspiration. Uh, the you don't have the very big aspirations. You don't need twenty million to live the life that you want to live. For example, um, is it is there something inside of you 
beyond that, that indeed, like if you really push for it, that you might not succeed? Does that idea maybe scare you? And that's why you prefer to just, you know, stay a bit more in your comfort zone and just crush the people that you know you were going to crush? Mm, not really. Um, I think like uh, one thing I'm good at is is just reframing things. So it's like if I can find a way to take uh to take it as a success, it will be fine, right? So it's like that maybe uh, like in, in table tennis, for example, like if we were like one, I mean, sometimes we, we were like playing a, a league higher or two, just like after after a nice year of success, and then we just lost every match there. Then, okay, maybe you look a little more at your uh, solo statistics, right? And then you have something something there for it. Uh, maybe then there's other parts where where you are somewhat successful or it can make it a success in a way in your mind. I remember the worst time of my life clearly that I had. Um, that was when I had nothing else and was just pretty much taking my joy or whatever is happening out of poker. That was um, when I was injured and couldn't do any sports. Uh, so I had a, I had a knee, knee surgery and uh, it was November and I was already living in Brighton and I was there just like we're flying there and um, playing for three three weeks straight, just like grinding it out every day. And that came together with like, a, there wouldn't be a problem if things are going well. Um, but this was the only thing I could take like my, my not energy from, but like really what gives me something there. Um, and then uh, I was grinding every day and I just kept losing. It was like one of my worst months, even though I, I put all the effort in. I think it was just a, a downer and I think it was it was all fine. But then I, I felt so miserable because it was just like I couldn't go out and like it could be a success just to go out and do sports, right? Whatever, whatever happens there um, or I don't know what else. Like it's it's yeah, uh, any anything could be something. And there it was. Yeah, nothing. I was like, in a. I mean, we didn't connect too well there. We tried in the beginning, it, but somehow didn't manage to do so in, in, in Brighton. So it was pretty much me being there. I don't know whether some of the flatmates were there as well. Um, and I like I felt so miserable, and this is something I learned as well. I just like need multiple options that that make me happy in a way, and I can't rely on on the variants of poker. It's like not just a a one thing. Where like whether it's a, a relationship that is uh, that is great, or is it like some kind of sports where you in the beginning it was like sports was going well, or sports was going bad, and then uni was going well, or just like something like something that you can like look at and be happy about uh, that was I w always wanted to have that and when that is missing that, that made me feel miserable uh, miserable in a way yeah it's like if you're too dependent on poker for your all-around self-esteem or how you feel about yourself or just feeling good and when everything is dependent on poker then when it doesn't go that well it hurts you a lot Whereas if you have other things going on, it's like, oh yeah, poker didn't go so well, but now I'm going to go have fun with my friends yeah. or in my relationships, or I go to play this sport and you know, it's fine. I also hear, I don't know if you, if you've actively practiced sort of mindfulness or if you've, if you've read it, I hear a lot of sort of mindfulness principles, also some stoic principles coming back in your stories. Also like this, the, basically you, I wrote down success is already inside of you. Basically you don't need to prove it or go challenge certain people you know that if you now want to feel successful or good about yourself you can try you you can find a reason why you're already successful you can find a reason why you're already happy with yourself and i think a lot of people they kind of crave that feeling right and they think it's somewhere along the horizon oh if i achieve this or if oh if i achieve that then i will feel that way but i think what you do very well is 
you're indeed you know your values you're very much in line with your values you you don't let other people kind of judge you on your values and then doubt your values right i can understand that compared to all the people you were hanging out with they they really liked that traveling right they would go to a restaurant and you were the only one who felt a bit awkward paying 200 dollars for a steak right that would be a situation for example if you put me in a situation i would probably kind of go with the group right and kind of put my values on on the side because that's kind of you know i want to i guess i find it then more important to fit in than to really stay true to myself so i think that's something that you do very well as well uh this was just my my conclusion uh so far of for from 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 what i'm hearing of you i don't know if you, is this conscious or is this, yeah, this i'm, is I'm definitely you. joining that group as well it's just like it's not what i what i need like i want to like for example on, on friday we go to a, a very very special three-star restaurant here uh that i'm very much looking looking forward to with a with a great uh group but i, I want this to be a special thing i like I, yeah. I want to still know what is normal to people like what is what is the what is the normal we're like uh i mean it's it's uh lots of people were i think i always found that weird it's it's true in a way but um like other um other poker players in those interviews, they talk a lot about like their um, friends or good friend here, here and there, talking about all their poker players. Yes, I'm I'm friends with most of the German poker players, but I'm probably better friends with like lots of like the people I know from my hometown that I'm still. Those are my best buddies, and I feel like those people who don't have those normal people around them and like their only base or like their 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 friends is just all from that poker bubble in a way that that changes you in a way which i mean it's it's fine it's just different right where for me it was always important if i'm so connected to home and i want to i want to still stay in touch with those people and meet on a very regular basis uh it's like it would be very very weird right that uh like i mean i i think i i mean stuff like I, uh, I could make like a gazillion stories now, but that's like, uh, yeah, that, I think that's the main thing. Uh, again, like I said, something stoic coming back that you shouldn't, even though you can, you shouldn't overly spoil yourself, for example, with three-star dinners because else it doesn't feel special yeah. anymore, right? It's like the standard, if you just do it all the time, then it's like, yeah, it's no longer special. So you, you try to not do things too much, even though you could, to... Keep them special. You know what is, what is fun because right? it's one of the special things right now. What we we started, uh, my wife and I, we started doing that during Corona. It's like after ordering food so often, just like really taking time and cooking something nice. It was like we we made like a journey through the world uh, and had like a a, um, a cooking date night like every Friday. And we actually I I, I put into I, I taught her her lots of randomize uh, randomizing. So whenever we are unsure, she's ready to randomize stuff. That's that's pretty great. So uh, vacations are pretty randomized sometimes, and that is where we had a box and we put like um, like names of countries in there. Just like we were just like uh, brainstorming, and every Friday we just or like the week before someone is responsible, we we draw like one thing, and then it's like for example Brazil, and then you have to do something fancy, pretty much uh, referring to that country. We're like, I mean, I think that's like the most normal thing in the world to be there together in the kitchen, cook something, and then have a nice dinner, but like that turned out to be something so special, really taking the time instead of, yeah, let's order Indian food tonight. Let's order Thai tonight. Let's order this tonight because I don't know whether it's too lazy or just like that. Uh, we're like, um, things can change where all of a sudden the easy normal stuff gets the special things again. 
Yes, yeah. I definitely agree. A lot of a lot of wisdom in there. I want to quickly go back to um, the time where you were playing the the high rollers and uh, playing live. Um, you referred to when you were just playing your zoom grind that you always had the ability, even though it didn't go so well for a short period, you could always zoom out and see that nice big graph. Was that something that you had trouble with in tournaments? Absolutely. To keep you sane, basically? Absolutely. Like, always that, yes, I think I am good. And, like, the success of certain buddies gives me the proof in a way because I think I'm doing, like, I mean, we are do playing the same strategies. If not a little deeper, I'm clearly making better decisions. Uh, and then, yes. Um, and then it's in the end, it's about two flips. But saying that over and over again after every trip, even though it's just like seven tournaments or so, gets annoying. And then there's nothing that I can rely on. Right? Let's say I move up to 500 and I have in my back, I have a nice little 200k hands graph with beating Zoom 200 with 7BB per 100. I mean, nothing can happen to me. Right? It's like really that, yeah, I can always go back to that uh, and know like, okay, it's probably not a, not a big deal. But then never... Like until a point, never made any money in in tournament poker. Even though everyone is telling me, "Hey, no, no, it's it's, it's all great you're doing. Just wait for it." Uh, it's like it's annoying because it's not natural to me. Like I'm that yeah th that I need that correlation between good playing and and getting getting a success out of it. Um, or it's just I don't know whether I could get used to it if I started with that. Um, I can see myself if I enjoyed that a little more to just like grind the daily tournaments, smaller fields then, and, and like have that kind of Zoom 200 graph then as well, um, just on, on that level, where if you only show up for the series, then play the high events, sure, I can evaluate plays that people make and say like, okay, we have a clear mistake here, he's blowing up here, this is all stuff that I'm not doing, so I need to be a favorite over them. But um, then it's like still, okay, we play a freaking scoop main event with a thousand people, Am I going to win it or not? It's probably a lottery, right? In a way. So it's just like very, very easy to run that there for a while. And by never putting the sample in, which is just not possible live. Um, yeah, I still think I never, like people think of me that I'm, or I mean, some live players think that, that I'm a bad main event player, right? I never had any score in any kind of big field, right? Yes, I won some 40 players sitting those which doesn't mean anything. I personally think I'm a great main event player. Just like taking so many spots where I win 300 big blinds where others win 100. I guess uh, Rene definitely knows what I'm talking about there. Um, it's, of course, if you have a six, you need to stack the five. That's it, right? So um, yeah, and then like I, I'm, I'm looking over the shoulders of, of buddies like playing that stuff online. I'm like, how can you not go all in? Yeah, but I'm only betting that big because how, why should he call me? And like, yeah, have you ever been bluffing that spot? No, hmm, good point. And they're like, okay, you go all in, get called by crazy shit. All oh, you just like won three times the amount. It's like, okay, like stuff like that, where I think, what is my best? I think is like a 41st place in something where I don't know, other buddies have like a EPT title here, a final table uh, left and right. And uh, yeah, I actually, what is, what is fun? I think I've, I think I'm actually pretty good, but everyone says that um, in, in, in evaluating good and bad run. So it's it's really that I think I have one big upside where I ran as hot as no one else in his career. And that is uh, the 
the uh, how it looked like when play is streamed. So whenever I was sitting on a streamed final table or like anything streamed, I look like a freaking genius. It's like every bluff catch I made there lifetime was good. And every fancy too thin value bet or random over bet exploitative got called. It's like really that. And the other part is, okay, if I got it in, I lost. And it's like, okay, out again with a big flip or getting sucked out. And we're like, it's like always looking great on stream where I think like, uh, people watching that had a very, very high opinion of me where obviously I'm blowing up left and right on outer tables as well. And I would on the stream as well, but it's like, that is just the, the bad or good run. Where actually, if you, if you like the, the bad run side, I think is really that making money myself with tournaments never worked out too well because I was very, very conscious and planned with my investments there as well. If you look through the, the hand and mop I have and evaluate the toughness of the tournaments. I always won the toughest tournaments, which at the, at the same time means I didn't have a big piece. Right? So it's like, for example, Poker Masters, everyone was talking about that, was 36 players, I guess, um, throughout the series and like two semi-fish that are not too bad. Like, like, yeah, don't want to call out names, but it was like that, like some some big whales were not, not coming and it was really that yes it was Ray Cree that makes it good but it was a, a, reg, a fest of regulars that's it so I'm as I am just like had a very very small piece what no one uh, sees is like so yeah I mean you can guess that's not the most money I made there but the most prestige in a way uh, and then the next week I just binked a $500 WCOOP tournament which no one sees in this world for pretty much the same amount that I won in Poker Masters where it's like it's just where like I obviously just play on. I maybe had a five percent swap with a buddy that was uh, that was cheering me on, but it's like like stuff like that. And this is something just to evaluate that. Where um, and you could do that same for other players. Where Fedor, I think, or other of the the heaters like uh, Justin Bonamo, maybe uh, Dan Coleman. It was not them having that heater that they win everything, but it's like really that they win everything after another. So every, every time you're overconfident slightly and willing to invest more to then win again, is just like the biggest heater of all times. Right? It's like so easy to lose stuff back. But if you have that like three, four in a row and you feel invincible, uh, then this is this is where the heel, he, uh, real heater is in a way. So that's like... Um, fun as well uh, in a way in a way to look at i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people that bring something that had the same mentality okay now i'm gonna take a very big piece Absolutely. of myself they bricked the next 10 tournaments <laughs> yeah. and we and don't hear of them anymore right that's always the the catch with these it's kind like of what you were looking out always sunday night in the cash game table someone just uh getting i don't know fifth in the sunday million uh feeling like being the best poker player in the world just getting unlucky to only finish fifth NL10K is a nice limit to start trying again. So, um, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. I, I, it's, it's quite interesting, right? For example, uh, if I go to your Wikipedia page, it indeed says like Stefan Sontheimer won 3.6 million, 10 million lifetime earnings. In general, I think in tournament world, you know, they have like this big braggy stars, wow, 20 million lifetime earnings. I'm like, yeah, okay, earnings, earnings, yeah. you know. Where's, where's the profit, right? And indeed, like you, you don't know in the in the world. I remember, I think I heard a podcast with Fedor as well, where he, he was talking about that he had some trouble. He felt like he couldn't complain because the outside world thought he had the best year ever. But in buying pieces, how much pieces he had in his winnings, he actually ended up down. 
which is really weird because then you cannot complain to the world because the world thinks, what are you complaining about? You pinged all this tournament. Yeah. How it, does that feel weird in a way when people say like, oh, wow, yeah, you won the 3.6 million. Is it like, yeah, not really, actually. Yeah. How does that feel? That's, I mean, it's like I had, uh, I was I was whining a little on Twitter that one year after the million one drop and then there was like big headlines in like the media, uh, a German pro losing 2.1 million in Vegas. We're like, yes, uh, I don't know whether that maybe 1.8, I don't know, like one part with the 1 million tournament. We're like, you can guess I, I, I didn't have the biggest piece of myself in that one. But uh, yeah, I mean that's just what it is. It's um, again for some people that are important to you, you can take some time and explain it. And for some others, it's just what it is. Right? If if someone uh, puts my name into Google and thinks I'm I'm like uh, I have fourteen, thirteen, or something million, okay, let him think that. It's okay. Uh, I don't care. Going back to, I've actually thought it was quite. If I thought it would made a lot of sense that in tournaments, uh, you might not feel as confident in the long run than in cash games, right? If you would have grinded indeed your way up in tournaments, you built a certain identity for yourself. Like, I am a tournament crusher. And then no matter if a downswing hits, you have something to fall back on. No, crushing tournaments, that's what I do. Whereas if you did not put in that sample those years before, like you did in cash, then if, you know, things don't go that well, even though rationally speaking, you know, you know, you make better plays and, you know, you play the same strategies as your buddies around you are winning and you get confirmation. Still inside of you, you know, your identity is not I yep. crush tournaments. It, that, it, it's, it's just not possible. And maybe this is also, you know, some of your strengths were indeed that you have a lot of self-awareness, you control your ego well, you know, you're, you're good in game selection, except for that tournament that you actually ended up pinking, which, you know, uh, that, that helped you well in that case. But in a way, also this self-awareness, and not having that big ego and going after that big win also holds you back a little bit at this at this point, I guess. Sorry, said again. I just didn't didn't get it. So, normally your self awareness and the fact that you control your ego well helps you yeah. in your career, right? You play it safe. Whereas in tournaments, maybe if other people around me would say, "Wow, you're so good," you might take a little bit of a more aggressive shot. You know, you might ride that ego a little bit more. So in a way that you were being a bit risk averse in that area kind of hold it you back. Yeah, I mean, it's just that I I need to figure, like that is important for me always to figure things out by myself. What we said is like totally true. Like I, you feel like, okay, I'm a cash game player there. Uh, I went through those downswings that it's mainly the, the experience missing as well. Like if I went through that downswing like three years before and two years before as well, and then like you have that positive attitude about that. And, uh, and, and there, I really always had that, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's then even, maybe it's the life component. Maybe some people see something. We're like, okay, uh, by talking honestly with Fedor, he's like, no, not a shit, right? It's like, don't worry about it. But still, like all that confirmation, it's not, it's different. Outside confirmation is is different than when you are 100% convinced yourself. So it's, uh, it's like what really yeah. helps me there is to really evaluate what, like, can you name it what you do better better than others? That's like, and this is what I get, like really teaming up there, watching others play and like just seeing them making random or definitely bad moves where like, I just know potentially the theory behind it better. I know other things maybe better. Um, and then that's like, okay, he's winning. I clearly play a better strategy. So it's like just a logical thing that it, that should work out, but uh, you never know. Right. And then it's like, you have that kind of bullshit talk about okay ex but he's so good exploitative we're like everyone who says that i'm like not 100 percent sure of 
um, where like, yes, it's definitely a plus that you know all the players, right? Those people grinding their hearts out. Let's uh, shout out to Pats, like who is sharing everything on Twitter and Instagram, maybe like every single day against those players that show up. I feel it now. I just playing a little challenge, some Zoom 200 again, whatever is possible here from Germany. You know how people play if you play them every freaking day, right? And if you are somewhat smarter or yeah. one level higher, sometimes you will figure more out about them than the other way around. So it's just that that gives you something where like, yes, if someone is going there to an EPT main event and I just see like, okay, I have two Russians, uh, two Spaniards and, and one French guy there. And Reiner Kempi is going there and knows like, yeah, this guy is always doing this. This guy is always doing this. I played them in all the one case in my life before. Obviously, that's a big advantage, right? So it's like, um, yeah, that's that's that kind of stuff. Where always, I always was a little self-critical or not a hundred percent sure, and uh, yeah, definitely didn't didn't let like the the uh, like good words from others affect my my decisions there too much. To like, I was never actually never investing too much then. I think it's there's a very big difference between indeed like rationally speaking, knowing everything, but like in your gut, yeah. you know that that intuition about how the how the pools usually play in a certain spot, how this guy will approach his spot, you know, you're just rationalizing it away with logic, but it doesn't feel the same, exactly. you know, as having that. I know I played with this guy over and over. I'm hundred percent sure uh, I'm gonna make this. It's a, and just like I played, I don't know. A couple of 10,000 hands the last week and have exactly that feeling. I go into the Zoom 200 pool and I feel like, yeah, most of those wrecks, and I have those seen most of those names five years ago already. They didn't change their play style too much, probably. So they will be value heavy, but always with a big if. Like they will be value heavy in big spots always. And now I'm looking at it like, he has it. I'm not calling a single catcher here. Right? It's like no doubt at all. Right? It's just like that that switch of things that always lots of lots of doubts in my in my head in the in the whole tournament world definitely how do you uh, how do you do that because you you go on twitch you play people sh she see you playing you from what i can tell are quite transparent in terms of you literally say what you're thinking i have a feeling you don't hold much information back um and you, for example, when I when I Twitch, I get quite paranoid in sharing exactly what I think, especially when it comes down to read some pools, read some players, et cetera, et cetera. How do you do that? Like you make a very exploitative fault and just be like, yeah, he doesn't bluff here. Knowing that he's going to see that, yeah, doesn't no, that freak you out? No, it doesn't bit? hurt me at all. It's like really that, it's like, <laughs> I love making fun of those players as well. So it's like really that maybe I, I give up a little dollar EV here for having some fun EV um, because it's just, I mean, if someone, especially when I've seen a name five years ago already, and he's still playing that same style on 200, he won't change. It's like always, you are thinking then probably in a way as if you were watching yourself and you can make all those conclusions what that means. If someone is playing 2117, 6% three bet, and then $1 after bet river on the showdown of like 72, um, no, he doesn't know that bluffing is a thing in poker, right? It's like he won't see that, oh, next time I bluff him. Like, no, it's like not, you can't, yeah, like I can watch Cristiano Ronaldo make a nice free kick and how he did it, but I won't, like, no, it's not in me. I, I just can't, unfortunately, right? Um, so it's it's like that in a way. Obviously, 
you're giving away something to to smart players, right? But they against them, you are anyways like trying to to like you're not on the most exploitative level. You both try to like not make mistakes in a way. So yeah, so basically you're 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 not gonna make as big exploits on higher stakes than I'm on not lower streaming stakes. 5K. So basically not. No, I, I, that, that was actually my follow-up question. Would it be yes. different than and even on two hundred? But sometimes I try to make a good job of not showing that. But if I make ridiculous faults, I mean, I I did like I did lots of calls that I would fold off stream. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm guilty yeah, of that. We're like, well. and like, uh, and I get the message from from Dudi, for example. Oh, you made that just for the stream. We're like folding all day long, and I'm like, and I'm in stream. Yeah, it's like close. The read is not strong enough. I think we still have to call that, even though he's still like. And I'm like, yes, kind of finding an explanation around it that like I I bring over to the audience that I know he has it, but no way I'm folding that. Where in real life, like sometimes I'm doing that, just like pulling the table away, click on the fold button, and not talk about it anymore. Um, and uh, then like sometimes I'm just like, I mean, it's I'm not making things where I'm hundred percent sure. Then I'm. I'm doing it, right? And I don't care. But if it's like, yes, he has like, I mean, I remember one hand, what was it? Um, yeah, I've, someone is like big blind three betting and he has like his six, 7% there against the button, something like that. We get a 10 high board. Uh, he C bets and I- And he pots it. Sorry? Uh, no, that's, that would be good. But I have jacks, he C bets like half pot, uh, 10, seven, three, turn is a four and then he check jams. We're like, I'm saying that yes, he can include ace ten as a value hand in there, but in real life, I were now I'm folding my jacks there. Just like I mean, we I I I told like he has the kings without the flush draw. He did have the kings without the flush draw. It's so nice that you can call out the, the hands all the time, but like stuff like that. We're like yes, it's like not a hundred percent sure, but uh, yeah. But I I guess that's like what you get used to when when streaming, and it's really. Like to make the toughest or craziest things, it's it's just yeah, it's something that before you turn on go live, you already accept that something Absolutely. like this is gonna happen. But it's really weird. Like I would have made a call just because I don't want to explain exactly how I think about the spot. I'm just gonna call because I don't have a better argument. I cannot explain it, a better argument not, for folding not than the, the one that I don't want to explain. It's not it's the weird. worst thing in the world to to tell everyone. Yeah, it's totally standard. You got a bad call that here because uh, yeah, I mean it's fine. Um, and this is why we're. I mean, you are streaming five hundred. I I can't even see the lobby unfortunately, so the I can afford the the two hundred to give up. It's and it's not like you're giving like two hundred dollars EV up there or like whatever the bet is like one hundred. No, it's, yeah. And I mean, for example, I do sometimes a stream three handed two K for example, a four handed two K, and there it's like. But the players that I then play against, I'm I'm not gonna do any. It's exactly what you said. I'm not gonna radically, yeah. like they they are not very much over bluffing, very much under bluffing. They're gonna be closer to GTO, so I'm yeah, gonna be closer to GTO. Your call loses two BB then, and not like twenty. So it's like okay. Exactly. So it 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 feels a little bit uh, it feels a little bit better. Uh, one point that I wrote down was that you mentioned in when you were playing these live events that you were swapping and buying action in other players where your normal grind you know playing it safe having a lot of control uh comes back how was that when you were suddenly buying pieces everywhere and people were going on huge down things and it was not in your control anymore basically normally you would maybe say oh i lost quite a lot maybe take a step back but no 
They keep on firing. You have percentages. Let's I go. I never bought pieces because I can't take it. It's like, it's, I mean, it's, I'm not a tournament player. I cannot evaluate that. If someone says, uh, tells me, yeah, let's, that whole Vegas schedule, that markup, I cannot evaluate it. Just like it's not. So everything I invest in is just the tournaments I play myself. So I have kind of a rating. I know the that's like those short, uh, like um, a few player fields, and um, and that's it, right? So and I play against them myself, and I can like guess more or less how ROIs look like. So it's mainly just swapping to just um, increase your your overall exposure a little on the tournament when you want to have that, um, and. And that's about it. I was never that guy like, let's go, you play the main event, you play the main event, I, I buy 50, like not at all. Like just, because I'm not a tournament player. Um, it's it's exactly- So it's purely, you're, you're like, okay, I cannot evaluate the EV of my investment, so right. I don't yeah. make it? Like or is this it... is the nittiness, right? We're like, I'm probably it's it's probably it's plus EV, but I don't know for sure. And I need to know for sure. Oh, that's indeed very interesting because I can imagine that if you know, again, you're in that circle, people are winning left and right, and you have the access to buy action of them, you know, as a direct friend, first access maybe. I, it's again, I think it's- a, I mean, that's, I mean, we were swapping, right? It's that, like that, that I'm not, it's not like I'm, I had more monies mm -hmm. than other. That's mainly the case when you start buying the action. We're like, yes, if like, I'm not buying the yeah, action. Okay. It's like, okay, Fedor is buying the action or whoever is behind is buying the action. So it's like, I'm not, yeah, you, you get it sold anyways. If someone has like s struggles to get it sold and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it's like, and it's the same tournament I play. That was my rule, just tournaments I play. And then I, I take another piece. Now, like That's not the problem, but um, yeah. Was never, never a big investor. All right. Well, you, you've had uh, quite the story, uh, uh, quite the right, Mr. Mr. Goosecore. <laughs> if you nits, nits, reflecting nits on, on it, nip, like, you know, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's exactly what you said, right? It was in line with your goals. It helped you here and there. It maybe stopped you here and there, but in the end, you're happy with your choices and where you are now. So in my, you, you got the stamp, succeeded. <laughs> succeeded <laughs> in poker. That's, that worked out quite, quite fine. If you, if you, if you look back at, uh, at, this, uh, at uh, your whole career, what is like the most important thing that you learned throughout the... Uh, Throughout everything that you've experienced. Oh, that's a very, very tough question. I mean, pretty much those life values, knowing knowing what you want in life. That's like, I guess, the biggest success you can have. That it's like, I mean, I still feel pretty young with 31. I, I hope there's lots of life ahead and like having a, a rough idea how you want to live those next, I don't know, 50 good years and maybe some more that are not too great. Let's see. Um is is pretty nice instead of like being caught somewhere uh like searching for what you want to do like being i mean how much time do we have the last 10 years thinking about that stuff for example people being mm -hmm. caught in, in uni and then in a job and like having their daily life they it takes them a couple like way more years uh just to like think stuff like that through and like build that and it's not only thinking it through once and then just knowing it's that that repetition of like really just like getting that um yeah just like just just getting those those feelings that this is right what you think and like then then having the bigger picture uh i think this is this is the, the clear thing um yeah yeah i think in in 
I see this a lot in poker because of how fast we can make progress in our careers. You kind of, everyone hits like an early midlife crisis, you know, which normally in normal career paths, people hit when they're like 50s. We hit it at like in our 30s, which is a, a huge, a, a, a huge edge compared to the, to the rest of the world, right? Because now you can, based on everything that you learned so fast, learned about yourself, you can live the majority of your life in line with those values, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I don't know, it's so, uh, it's like those, those talks, like when, when, when I sit there with my wife and we talk about the future and what our plans are, I would like to see those kind of talks from other people. Right, we're like, um, I think I, I kind of like put her a little in my direction, and she, she took me a little in her direction. Uh, I mean, she's not a poker player, so, <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, I think this has has to look very, very different. Just like like for the the vast majority of of of, uh, of people, just like planning their future because there is no room for planning, no way less options. They are stuck in something, and this is just a yeah, so so much freedom that I'm I'm super happy with and 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 super super thankful for. I think you do need to reach a certain point in your career because you know if we would have had this conversation five years ago, six years ago, or if you would have this conversation with me, very focused on achieving a certain amount of success or you want to reach certain goals, and it's only after you reach that that you feel like you have the time to reflect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if we if we travel um, back in time like five years, it's you get like totally different answers to everything. Um, it's like then, what was it? Start of two thousand seventeen. Oh, I was I would still be whining about the downswing end of two thousand sixteen. I would still praise the five K sitting goes and stars, and I would hope like that two thousand seventeen things will have finally to change because how how bad can you run or for for how long can you run bad in live poker and then we turn out that uh 2017 will be a great year so uh yeah i hope for you too <laughs> adam would you like to uh, to to share your thoughts on this on uh, the biggest lesson that he learned yeah yeah so i'm getting a lot of lessons that seem very powerful from you uh, the self-awareness is just a big trend line throughout this conversation. And another thing that was really interesting is your kind of ability to reframe. It's really, I think me and Rene both came into this conversation trying to uh, pick some obstacles from you, some challenges that you faced, but that's hard for you to even answer because you instantly reframe it as a positive. So we can't even hit an obstacle because your mind's already reframed that as a win yeah. and a positive thing, which is amazing superpower because life's not really obstacles. It's like neutral situations that we frame as an obstacle, which then needs to be solved. You, you skip that phase and you instantly, or you try to reframe situations as a positive, which I think is an amazing skill set. It's amazing for people listening to think about how they can reframe their situations in a more positive way. We have so much leeway to do that. We can choose different angles. And if we, like you said, with your poker results, looking, you'd often zoom out and look at your big graph. We always have the ability to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So uh, yeah, I'm getting this kind of big picture perspective, self-awareness, the ability to reframe, which I would call perspective, the perspective skill sets. And yeah, really, really interesting to hear how uh, you've been able to use those to, uh, from my perspective, have less challenges or less big obstacles that other players would normally have. Normally we have a bit of a, a train wreck scenario where it's ups and downs and backs and forths. You've navigated the highs and lows of the poker world 
smoother than most people. And I think it's a testament to those, those skills you've developed. So uh, yeah, I'm just going to fire some quick fire questions, which I've had on my mind um, going into this conversation. Then Renny, I'm guess, guessing you've got some uh, random questions as well. So first of all, when you are your best, what does that look like? You could apply it to your daily habits or when you're at your best self, what does that generally look like for you? Um, hmm, that's interesting. Um, how it looks like probably sitting there actually in not the most relaxed posture. And um, it's like, I have that thing, like no other things in mind. That's like something that's, that's really holding me back. And uh, what I think and that is as advice for, for lots of others as well is that, um, that talking about what you're doing helps a lot. Just like to put like, to think thoughts to the end. Um, I'm not necessarily talking while playing. Uh, that can happen just inside your head as well. But really having that ability of free, free mind to really think things to the end where like I, I feel that when I'm not like in the like not performing the best and then review it and like what have I thought here uh, or just like click on something and have that one second later that maybe that was not the best and this is some sometimes I feel like yesterday for example I recorded a, a video for Poker Code just a, a live play and there I, um, I I just felt it before I want to talk about what I'm doing here right now right it was like one where I was talking about exploits now I have some summer experience with the players I played in the last week. And uh, and now I can finally say something what I think about them. And I'm happy to do so. We're like, hey, I play this table and I want to articulate where my EV is coming from. Right? It's like, I want to, again, in a hand, for example, I try to zoom out. What is like that from just a theory perspective? What is the spot? Okay, I have a pure bluff catcher with those two cards mean this, and this is the player type I'm facing. So whatever is my absolute hand strength, it ends up being a fold, probably, right? Uh, I have this and that, and this is where my EV comes from. We're like, hey, um, but I remember a hand yes, from yesterday as well. We're like, hey, I turn a free king straight in a three bad pot. I'm like, yes, that's a, a high frequency check here to protect my range. I know this guy is never bluffing. So what is the exploit here? I get the money from just like getting money from his from his draws and his, his weaker value. And so I'm just flashing it through myself where like just really articulating that makes it so sound so easy at the same time which that's why well lots of people i guess love the youtube videos or, or or the stream to just like present it in an in an easy way that everything makes sense but it helps yourself the most actually um and this is yeah maybe a, a good description that really i have the time and freedom in my brain to really have that have that talk in there if i'm not speaking it out loud is there anything you do on a daily, weekly basis to provide that space for yourself so you can consistently show up as that version of yourself? I mean, right now, not at all, because since June, I'm not really, I cannot grind from Germany. That's the big problem. So like, and now for Zoom 200, I don't introduce like big routines, but uh, usually when I play real sessions, that's the first thing that no session gets started before the last one is reviewed. That's just like, uh, even if it's just a short thing that helps poker-wise to get things that, that might still be stuck there from the past, and even if it's just like three lost flips, that helps me to get them out there, and then you are free. We're like, uh, I mean, one basic rule that I'm not following up with, but helps me a lot when I do so, is just uh, the very, very basic rule of life that ev everything you can do in less than five minutes, do it now. And we're like, that's a pretty good thing. We're like, before our uh, our call here, 
uh, I actually needed to make appointments with a physiotherapist. This is one call, but this is something that is in the back of my mind for now three days or it's not, right? So I did it at like, we met at 10. So I did it at like 9.45. I still called there and just get it done. Like just those things trying to do that before a session where, as I said, I'm. it's easy to say right now, I'm not doing that at all because I, I chill, play a little Zoom 200, do a little coaching, do something here. And it's like, it's not really, I don't need to perform on the highest level right now. But this is something that uh, maybe in the future when I when I grind a little more again from when I'm in Vienna or so, I try to to have the, those habits for sure. Yeah, awesome. So on your poker journey, what have been some of the uh, more powerful character traits you've had to develop? It feels like from the outside, you going into poker, you already had a quite good, clear values that you understood. You were very, very competitive going into poker. What did you have to learn on the poker journey that you maybe weren't good at originally, or was it like a new skill set that you had to learn the hard way or the fast way during your poker career? Does anything come to mind? Um, two things, yeah. So one thing that that it helped me a lot with is, I mean, mainly just through the success, I guess, but like self-esteem. I was one, I mean, you can imagine, I told you before from like sports that I was always one of the small guys, like growing up to a man is like one of the latest, I guess everyone has, has had those in, in their, in their uh, youth around them as well. Where like, uh, that like puts you into that position of like getting kind of a shy person, maybe a little of like being a little, not, not sure about things. Um, and I'm definitely, definitely that where like, I, I remember that was interesting when, when my, my wife at one, one day told me, it's like, it's insane when I hear you talk with like poker people, you are just like a different person because that's just like different conversations were like, kind of, I'm the boss in a way where like you, there's nothing you can, sh you can't shake me off with like poker, anything, right? I guess, uh. I guess uh, Rene and I, we can talk on like a high level about all kinds of strategy, but it's like, there won't be anything new. There will be interesting things, but like, it's like, yes, it's like, I, I feel so, so much confidence in something that I obviously do, do not have in any other part of life. I, I never, I, I don't have another part of life that I studied as much as I studied poker. So it's just a natural thing. And the other thing is uh, that kind of accepting that people are very different. Like I gave, actually, there was the, the most interesting interview I ever gave to someone from the seventh grade from my home hometown school because it was so easy, childish questions. And really thinking about them on a deeper level was very interesting. And it was like one of the questions was, what do I need to be good at to make it to the point where you are? And there I was really thinking, he was more talking about school subjects, but um it's more like really that thinking, okay, who is there in the high roller world? And we have very, very different people. I know some of the German crew. I mean, they struggle adding 17 and 28, right? It's like not the, the an analytical math type of people who just don't need a second for that. It's like really, it's insane how bad you can be with numbers and still succeed in poker. Some others are like very, very talented in a communicative way. Uh, just like making friends with people, getting in the right circles, um, maybe even live game selection in a way, getting into nice cash games or is something on the side. Um, like for me, that would be acting. Some you obviously have those type of super geeks, kind of you could they if they end up like being a math student, they will do their professor or something and then end up in, in like just like geeking in another 
area that you can really dive deep into. And then you have like kind kind of those all rounders. I don't know how to describe. I have Reiner in mind right now, right? Not not a math talent. Uh, not like I don't know, but like he's kind of like out of the streets, kind of right. Like just like uh, knowing how things are working, and uh, and like so different characters. And before that, I was like more centered around my ideas. Like, okay, you need to maximize EV. This is the strategy. This is what you need to do, and this is the only way how it works. So really, that more open-mindedness regarding how things can work, uh, and and that different perspectives can be totally fine where now I experience that a lot when I do coachings with especially people that got coached from other players before. Like really, um, yeah, I, I have one in mind that just had someone who was working a lot with mass data analysis and like that coaching must have been like programming a bot in a way. It's like, yeah, there you just always bet 30% because this is what works. Instead of, right, I try to make people understand with analogies and, and nice and easy to understand images um, where, like, he was just, like, he could probably put it on paper what his strategy is without telling him why or couldn't even explain it, right? It's, like, um, and obviously those people can be very successful in poker, too. Um, and this is just, like, being open-minded regarding that. Uh, that was, I guess, the, the second big thing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think poker makes you realize that people are very different and there's no like kind of right or wrong way. And like we said earlier in the conversation, we're all trying to get to different outcomes. So obviously different personality types and different ways of doing things are going to get us to different outcomes. Yeah, I think it's always good to uh, reflect that maybe our way isn't not only the only way, but it might not be like just the best way. There's so many different ways to go about getting to an outcome, even with poker and like very finite solutions in a way there's so many different ways you can play spots and get a certain outcome so yeah i think it's really uh, it's a lesson in different personality types and i know myself like i used to always struggle with people who weren't logical enough if someone was too emotional <laughs> i'd be like all right just stop the emotions let's get to logic and, and i used to try to think that they were wrong and i was right and i had to kind of teach them how to think logically and then now as i understand people more i'm like ah that was just me not listening. I just didn't understand how to hold space for an emotion. So I would just try to reframe the situation that they're wrong and I'm right. Yeah, I think poker has got so many personalities from GTO people to field people, but it's different types of people who see the world differently. I think that it's a great lesson to uh, accept that people are different. I think once you do get to that point, you realize you can learn so much from, often people are very different. Often you can learn more from those people. I, in the past few years, I've learned a lot more from people who are very different to me. Whereas maybe early in my life, I maybe channeled myself towards people who are very similar and just learned from peer groups. But recently I've learned a lot more from people who are different to me because they stress my ideas and they often tell me how silly I am, how wrong I am. But that gets me to reflect on where I am and yeah, it's a more balanced perspective yeah. at the Good end point. of it. Uh, so just yes. one quick- You sorry, you go, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, me and Rene, before we got on the conversation, we both noted separately that you're very good at asking questions. It seems like you're very good at asking yourself questions and reflecting. Has that always been something that you would say you are good at? Or have you been able to uh, fine tune that skill set of maybe going internal to ask questions or even seeking questions outside? Has that been something that you've been uh, able to fine tune? Um, I think that was somehow just there, or I don't know where it comes from. It's like really that analytical way. I always um, did like lots of lots of teaching, like even that that guy who is like where I thought about how can you explain things, and uh, and like just being that guy who helped others in like seventh grade with math, like talking about that, and um, and this is something that I guess teaches that skill a little because for me it's just like 
Everyone knows all that stuff. It's insane. I can have, you can get, bring me your worst student. And I try like, it's just whatever your brain is thinking through is just triggered by the right questions you ask. And sometimes the questions are just very, very easy. You just need to ask them. We're like, I, I remember now math back in school where like you have a, yeah, a little, a little task where like a story is told and then you need to find something out. Like, I don't know, Timmy meets Adam and they do this and that with that. And like, it's, there's not like the clearest question of all times and you need to figure it out yourself where some people sit in front of that and like, I have no clue what I should do, right? Because it's not like, it's not the framework. It's not like there's just a, a math equation and they need to solve it. There are some people who can do that. Um, but this is always that, yeah, just ask the questions. And this is again, bring back to just speaking it out loud. Like, what are you thinking about now? It's, 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 it's really so helpful. And then I see it like, um, yeah, we can talk about that in any poker spot. Like, oh, I have no, no clue what flop sizing to use here. Yes, let's think about it. What makes sense? Does a small sizing make sense? What do you hurt in villain's range using that? Does a big sizing make sense? What is like the problem here and there? And then all of a sudden you ask just like those super general questions and then you get the, the Pio answer from, from a more or less random student without ever looking at Pio because it's like, yes, it's like you have it in you. Um, and yeah, that's, a, that's the main thing. Yeah, awesome. So it sounds like a little bit of an inbuilt talent to uh, always be asking questions, but it sounds like you've fine-tuned that skill set throughout your life from helping people with maths now to coaching poker. And yeah, I think it's a it's a really powerful life lesson for all of us to always stop and go, wait, what questions can I be asking here? And like you said, you can get like a JTO Pio solution from somebody who hasn't never seen a solver if you probe the right questions. And yeah, I think it's good to uh, look at our lives and go, what questions could I be asking? How could I direct myself and my life better by asking questions? Is there any questions you ask yourself regularly? I've got one, um, a question I ask myself every week, every other week is, what would this look like if it was easy? What would this look like if it was easy? I'm generally trying to uh, solve my life problems or coordinate my week. And I always go, what would it look like if it was easy? And that gives me a, a framing of, okay, just do these things and I, I simplify. So uh, any questions you use regularly that's, that are powerful for you? Not consciously, like uh, it's interesting to think about, but uh, no, I've, I've nothing consciously. It's more like the, um, yeah, more like the the outlook to the future. What will the future bring? Like especially like uh, now with the the um, yeah things in in private life that are going on that I'm thinking about, um, and and yeah with the situation with poker, it's just like more that kind of questions, but nothing. Yeah, like using questions as a tool to really think something through. Um, couldn't think of anything, no, but. Uh, yeah, cool. Cool. To, we'll think about it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're very adaptive with your questions. So uh, you use them on the fly as they come up. So that's, that's a good tool. Yeah. All right, Rene, any quick fire questions or any where you want to steer the conversation with any future questions? No, I think he, I think if Stefan, because he knows himself and he's very clear on where he wants to go. And then basically the maybe unconscious next question is, okay, then what do I have to do on a daily basis? Okay, I go do it. Basically. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about that little little challenge I'm having, right? Uh, so and, and I starting like uh, started second of January playing Zoom 200 again, and I think I run super bad so far, but it 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 feels just not okay. So I and it's not it's not okay either to just keep whining about the results, even though you get presents left and right, and then forget about about all the the bad run and some kind of cooler. So it's really that. I have that in mind, like, what can I do? I think I'm definitely ahead of all of them. Um, but what can I do to 
even maximize there that we're like, okay, this is just like, do I just grind it out and wait for, for better times in a way? Or where do I put my effort into just like, again, uh, to just have that little challenge for myself uh, before hopefully uh, with, when the Corona situation allows it to, to spend more time in Vienna next year or this year now. Um, and, and yeah, um, play, play, uh, uh, Rene a little on higher stakes as well. All right. Looking, looking forward to that. Yeah. We're, we're in the same uh, time zone usually. So, uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, obviously you currently, you spend a lot of time on, uh, on poker code and on coaching there. I, uh, I went briefly, no, not actually not briefly. I think I spent three, four, five hours watching, uh, some of your content, uh, a lot of good stuff in there for sure. Um, Therefore, also you mentioned you play a lot of 200 and Zoom right now, and you clearly feel like you're beating those games, right? What is it about um, uh, your I'm, average? I'm pretty positive on that. What, what is it? What is it about your average 200 and Zoom player that makes them a 200 and Zoom player, not a higher stakes player? What, like, what what do they often do wrong? Do you have a couple of of tips? Uh, we have different groups. I st- just restarted all my labeling. Uh, because they were like some old notes, Sarah. So I sometimes like to start from scratch, especially when I have been uh, off the tables for a while. And it's really, really interesting. We have that old guys where I still know the name from five years ago. We're like, I don't know what is wrong with them, but some something needs to, like not making the next step for five years and grinding that out for one BB per hundred and winning like not too much rake back is is i i can't see it maybe other people maybe they are living somewhere where they make the best living out of that and that's just like the easy job maybe i don't know but for me it's like yeah they will always play the same and 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 are not really thinking things through right and that is mainly that big group of playing more or less value only waiting for presence overfolding all all small spots and then uh having it when the pot gets big every single time right it's like the the typical biggest mistake like not three betting the big blind pretty much at all or playing in jacks plus ace king range there that's a one very very large group you have in the sub 200 pool then you have a a group of the kind of um solver based new fast learners right people that that rise up in poker um in the last years or maybe it's just one or two years because it's so easy to learn poker these days it's like Poker code is helping. Every solver is helping. Poker ambition is helping. There's so much great. You can you can watch uh, you play. You can watch me play. There's so much good stuff out there. Back then we were sitting there with pen and paper and thinking things through. Uh, so this is just an acceleration for your level of the poker game. And there are some great players, and they just have the problem of um, like which games to play in a way. Where do they get into? Back then, we had then 200 running, 500 running with lots of entries. We had Zoom 1K running. We had normal regular tables. Shout out to King 10 of Clubs. Just like infinite of those. And right now, it's about a lot of selecting, right? I think you can very, very easily and fast get up to 200. Um, but then what next to build your bankroll? So I think lots of people can be already very good, but are somewhat bankroll capped. So I, I just added someone of the good racks there in, in Skype and just like, yes, he is sometimes here adding this 1K table, but then it's a shot that hurts him already, right? Five, five times mm-hmm. the stakes. What is in between? Do you add, I don't know, I know 400, 600 on like some sites? It's just way less action than, I don't know, seven years ago. Um this is the other group. And then you have um, 
I don't know, the South Americans take over, the crazy guys, right? It's like the, I don't know, like... They want it too much. It's like, it's, I don't know whether it's just the, the nation read there, but let's call them the, the ego group, where people are really overdoing it. We're like, I don't know whether, I think people play differently against me just because they know the name. Um, I've talked to some people and they just confirm that they don't get called by ridiculous everything in those, I call them the black-white situations, where like, you leverage a lot, right? And it's like, you either have it or not, where I have, I just like, it feels bad, but I always have to have it. I'm so sorry, but it's like, if in the, you, you create a spot where villain is forced to fold 80%, if they take that as a 50-50 spot, it's like, because it's like, yeah, heist player, he will have his bluff. Uh, just like calling is more fun than folding. So it's like, um, that's the, the big problem I'm fighting right now because I can't help myself and sometimes need to press that button. Um, but, but yeah, that's uh, like something like that. People are who are really overdoing it and maybe taking things personal. I don't know, maybe big egos involved. Um, and you have that. So it's really that, that nitty group where you just like keep hammering on as long as the, they are not interested and just fold when they show interest. You have that ego group that you just need to play I don't. I never try to outsmart them because I. I cannot look into their brain. That's too crazy for me. I cannot. I try to stick like somewhat close to Pio and actually call bluff catchers more often than I should. So it's like that until I gain more knowledge. Maybe um, that group. And uh, what was the third? Uh, I forgot already. But it's like really. Uh, I like the GTO guys. Yeah, the different that are more yeah, capped good by game some good, selection. And then not talking about the. These are all regs, right? So obviously we have the typical zoom fish like we have those 12 four guys clicking through until they have kings plus then min three betting and stack off any board right i mean this is the the the, the daily daily business and you still have like those 40 zero guys but this is just every i try to group group the wrecks in a way to have an idea because i won't collect the sample or do the review for single wrecks um, so i need to group them and for the recreationals or really bad players there's just worth to look at them as really individuals where like i take a, i try to really focus my notes especially on those uh timing tells sizing tells whatever i because this is where the money comes from and they are every every i don't want to use the word but every whale is an individual one and um yeah it's it's just um what i try to focus on and then i think yeah they are really it's that it's so interesting to look at it it's like they are some people where Zoom 200 is definitely the end of their career. I mean, who played that for five years won't make the next step anytime soon. And for others, I think it's no, just... No, you're in a different mindset. You're you're in a mindset of going downwards. It's, you have to then change something radically. Yeah. Else. And then and then the, the others who are just like on the edge of like probably adding higher stakes, etc. And um, yeah. I also find it, uh, it's probably also very difficult if you're so used to just firing up your tuna in a Zoom. Like I said, it's in, again, it's an environment where you can control everything. The pool is always running. So you play when you feel best, you plan your breaks. But then when you have to make that switch to like adding sides, normal tables, tables breaking, a very big part of your attention is going to go to finding games, closing games, not getting grimmed, opening other sides. So it's actually, you will have a lot of trouble coming from Zoom. And I think a lot of players, they... They try it for a little bit, but then they immediately go back to Zoom because it's just so much more comfortable. Yeah. They don't... You have to go through the pain a little bit because in the end, yeah, higher than 500 nil Zoom doesn't really exist. So if you want to make it to 
higher stakes. Zoom is like probably one of the toughest limits out there. It's like still you are still playing sometimes. I mean, you have your recreations yeah. there as well, but you have like high stakes wrecks showing up there every day. Yeah, because it's just like, oh, there's nothing. Oh, let's see if, oh, okay, I'll add a, I'll add a 500 zoom. It's like yeah, the, the, it. the praxis. It's like the lab in a way. Just like when you want to fight, it's like the battle arena. It's like this is always, more or less always running at least. Yeah, it's uh, if 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 you're interested in making the most money now, 500 zoom is uh, probably not the place to go, right? Yeah. Uh, Going to um, going to your 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 poker code product, um, I want to ask you something that you mentioned. Because you were talking about how you know many strategies can be GTO, right? I remember you showed okay, this is a min bet only, this is a mix, this is an over bet. EVs are all similar. I mean, it's a solver, right? I explained that myself as well. A solver, regardless of what options you will give him, he will play these options perfectly. So deviations in EV will always be minimum, right? It's as, uh, it's as simple as that. And then you mentioned that you like to sometimes choose an alternative approach or that there's benefits in choosing an alternative approach than what the rest of the people are doing. Could you maybe give an example of that, of how you might use a not the most GTO uh, uh, strategy, but a strategy that you think helps you well because it puts your opponents maybe in a difficult spot or you understand that spot better. So it's it's um, it's really that understanding of what the EV means. Lots of people take that as a given thing, right? The EV that the solver shows you is your EV taking that line playing against someone else who plays the solver optimal line under those circumstances, which is the most wrong thing in the world, right? We are playing against people who are fucking things up every day. You see that with yourself, right? Uh, I see that with myself and probably our average opponents. Maybe they don't see it, but we see it that they do that even more. So um, it's really that what we need to keep in mind. And then it's something not that I, I mean, making something different than the pool to just say like, okay, I do something differently. Let's say some, like everyone opens 2.5 X. If I can do something else, with uh, without losing solver EV in a way, I'm I'm one out of hundred who does that, so I will do it better than the others because I studied that every day. They see it one out of a hundred times. Right? Might be as easy as like min raising the button instead of two point five xing or three xing the button instead of two point five xing. Might be an idea. We can go into lots of detailed spots there, obviously. But what is even more important than just like deviating from what everyone does is really giving those challenges to people that are tough to, to fight against, right? The solver will find the perfect reaction. Um, but let's face it, right? Big bets make it easy, for example. Right? Big bets allows villain to play, let's say we pot bet, he is more or less allowed to fold 50%, which, well, the first 40% will be easy folds because it's just like you have nothing, right? I just have like ace-king four in mind. Well, like you bet huge, the solver suggests a huge bet for certain reasons, that's super cool but you force villain to play perfectly with all his 8-9 offsuits. Right? Instead of checking back and letting him, letting him play and find the right lines, right amount of bluffing, right whatever, with his full, full, full shit. Right? So there is, yes, the solver will answer perfectly against any sizing, but maybe like other things are more interesting sometimes. Right? For example, three bad pots out of position. Let's take a board like 10-5 deuce rainbow. 
right? If we say big blind versus button, that's a board where mainly just the big size exists in theory, or the solver suggests that. But yeah, because the small size, every hand that in position has, plus given his positional advantage, is just a call against like a quarter pot or so. We will see spots where they are allowed to fold like 3%, where what is happening in reality, what is tougher for maybe not the greatest players in the world, well, defending correctly against small sizes where they need to call 100% of their range or have some raising range as well to continue with their weakest shit might be more interesting. You can force them to split their range pretty early in a way, right? By just like having certain knowledge, right? Against some players, I like to keep the betting lead a little more because I know what their reaction is. That's the more natural thing. I just, I bet small, you call when you have something, you raise when you have something very good, you fold when you have nothing. That's what I can, I can look into the future. But if I check to you on a certain board, I have no clue how you build your betting ranges. But if I know that, or I gain knowledge through what you do there, this might be way better, right? I have, for example, if you look at a solver again, let's take that three bad pot out of out of uh, position. You will see on something like eight, five, three, you will see lots of big betting and lots of checking. And on the checking, you will follow up with lots of check raising, right? Because your position, you have the position of disadvantage, you have the advantage right now, you want to get the money in the middle now before there are more cards in position that Willem can make use of, like using his positional advantage and just knowing more about that board then. Um, where against some players, it's like, I want to see those two lines as the same thing, pretty much, big bet or check raise. We both have the goal to get the maximum money in the middle right now, instead of waiting for later. And uh, well, sometimes I'm playing check only against people who overstep there or, or who give me information about their hand strength with their stabbing strategy. Against some people who are very passive, I just bet all the time because this is how I achieve getting the most of the money. And this is just, I want to more understand incentives and see it as something I'm the one. I, I split it up. I'm sure you, 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 you listen to that into like action game and reaction game. And whenever I'm in mm -hmm. action game, I'm the one setting the parameters and I'm not playing the solvers. I set the parameters in a way or I try that, which gives villain a puzzle that is tough, right? If it is obviously a puzzle that he has seen 10 times already before, because this is the solver he runs all day, he will solve it. He will do it in a good way. If I give him a puzzle he hasn't seen, but is an easy puzzle, for example, he is allowed to fold 70% of his range. Let's say I just overbet jam on that 8-5 deuce board. Might be a puzzle, but it's easy to solve. Or I find a puzzle that is maybe, maybe a little tougher. Right? While the other part, the reaction game is just finding out a lot. Right? It's like, I made this morning already the note um, bets big face up hands in position on boards where big bet does not necessarily exist. Right? It's that type of player I know, I guess you know them. It's like that he has king queen on king 6 4, he bets big just because he has king queen. This guy has bottom two pair on kind of a similar board, he bets big now because it's like, yeah, I get the money in now. We're like, okay, you need to, again to see the bigger picture and understand that what does it mean well his small betting range is fucked up right you just overfold everything and when he bets small you just really kill him right and go go a little crazy where again i like spotting those game trees where people are just worse in and didn't study i think everyone is quite okay in let's say the c bet then having a double barrel strategy but people are really really bad in sizings in the delayed game tree i myself am too right it's 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 kind of the wild west of the mid stakes right it's like everyone is like 
over betting, small betting. It's like betting their hand strength. It's, some people are crazy over bluffing. Some people are never bluffing. It's it's really the wild west, um, and 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 just stuff like that. And this is where I don't care about the stakes, but the game is making me fun. It's really that figuring that out, making those notes, evolving as a player, having kind of new strategies. Uh, we're now right now. I'm working, for example, one of my topics right now is the um, delayed min betting on like high card boards. It's like, I guess, I mean, you did, I'm sure you did lots of, of stuff like that, like, or monotone board. I've tried everything, like, Goose. I've tried everything. Ace, ace, jack, four, sometimes goes check, check, turn is a king. Let's put the freaking min bet out there and fuck them up and let's see, right? We're like, force them to defend their pocket sixes, but they won't. Um, I did just like, those ideas were like, I talk in those terms already. Like I force him in theory to do something, to answer the puzzle I give him with a certain strategy. But it's easy to pretty much have those thoughts that, like, where will they do mistakes? Right? If I, yeah, yeah. It's again, like, for example, let's make one more example: blind versus blind. Right? Um, what is the board? We get a queen five deuce rainbow board. We see bet small. Turn is a ten. Right? If you look at the solver, you see lots of now, one hundred eighty percent two e sizing. Right? The sizing that is linearly going directional in because you have the straight advantages around that. Villain is not really not protected, not having tens. Queen 10 is the strongest hand probably now. Um, so something like that where, is that the best line though against humans? Or is it like, it's like against the solver, it's a slightly, slightly better than maybe another big bet. But against humans, it allows them to pretty much just fold everything, right? We're like, hey, people can fold that. Yes, it's perfect against people who can't fold. But um, if, you, if your line means that you force Villain to play perfectly, is it the best line possible? Right? So it's really that it's when we talk on that level, it's not, it's like pretty much the baseline that we understand how the whole game works, right? That like, it's easy to, to understand which hands are correct to bluff, what are the value bets, etc. And then it's actually going to like one more level to really say, okay, maybe giving up solver EV in a way, maybe play a fancy puzzle here, uh, do something else here to really put the like, force villains to to make mistakes or give them the potential to make mistakes. Um, and that can be just like different types of game trees that we build or just deviating a lot by maybe even giving up EV on like, yeah, min raising the button can be a thing. Not not for German extra rake though. No, so yeah, indeed, you you prefer prefab folds, right? That has the more more. I play a little more three bet heavy than others, and I started two point five xing even from under the gun. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it, it makes a lot of sense, right? If you understand the rake impact has on on the game, then and you pay more rake, then that's the logical consequence. If you come now to Zoom two hundred and you limp your small blind, I will personally drive to Rotterdam and, and slap you in your face. Like, it's just not okay, okay? Can, can I still do it on 500 Zoom? Uh, I can't play 500 Zoom, so you can do whatever you want there. No, but okay, but I'm, I'm allowed to limp to small, but it's 500 Zoom, right? That's okay, yeah. That's okay. And even then, I, I remember, yeah, especially with the, the the whole rake story about limping, I heard a lot, the whole story about dunk betting, and these were two things that I was just constantly doing everywhere, dunk betting, limping. And there were always so much stories about it. Yeah, but I find, okay, let's let's open up the topic about small band limping. <laughs> and then the other person immediately closes the topic and says, rake's too high. Discussion closed. It's like, 
okay, but come on, if, there's if maybe more player, to it. If, if both players play perfectly, then yes. <laughs> Stars exactly, because like, okay, so basically no one in the pool limps. Okay, okay, interesting. So if I limp, they have no fucking clue what to do. And then you look at all the leaks that are available in limp pots, it's like, okay, fuck the rake, I'm going for it, you know? Yeah. It's like sometimes people people just close off a certain door too fast, right? The same with the dunking, uh, with the flop dunking. You know, especially, I mean, f- f- five years ago, I was dunking, you know, more than the whole pool combined, basically. <laughs> and people were saying, yeah, but I run a dunk in the solver and it doesn't really generate much more EV. And like, yeah, okay. I- indeed, like what I felt like you, wait. You, you wouldn't probably dunk against the solver. <laughs> exactly, right? If I put that dunk out there, wow, he has a tough spot. Because he has to do this. I think people are going to overrace. Oh, if he overrace, oh, if I come over the top again. Oh, wow, he's in a really shitty spot. So instead of looking at, that's kind of also what I got from your story. In looking, instead of looking at, okay, what does the solver prefer? Let's do that. You're like, what does the solver prefer? Why doesn't he prefer the other options? And can I maybe use one of these options to put my opponent in a tough spot? Yes. Right? Because, for example, on the 10-5 dudes, what you said, if you, if you bet small, yeah, if you play a strategy where then in position decides if he wants to build a bigger pot and can just realize all his equity, assuming that, yeah, we're playing as a solver, he's going to play later streets perfectly. That's not a GTO strategy in GTO. But yeah, if you if you bet small, the guy's going to float you with any two and over bluff 50% and you then don't fault on later streets. Hey, fine strategy, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's really insane how... Like really seeing it that level and not being one of those, I try to copy what the solver does given certain parameters. Um, just like it's it's a new fun level of the whole game, actually. Like I like so much yeah. just like running some sims and then um, maybe like just changing some parameters. Like for example, okay, I know people are not check raising enough in certain spots. Okay, how does it look like if I don't allow them to check raise at all? Let's have a look, right? What does it change if I see bet in the three bet pot and I know they are not raising at all. Let's just double check on that. How does the solver EV then change? What incentives are given next? Uh, and so on and so on. Right? It's like, I'm, I'm actually like, uh, my biggest uh, favorite move right now is the 10% river donkey donkey. That's a, the, a really, really nice a one. for goose here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan, big fan. Yeah. When I hear 10% and, and even river donkey in the same line, I mean, you're, you're making my day here. <laughs> You're making my day. No, yeah, but it's it's. I think a lot of players get it wrong. They they think they have to play like the solver, but that's not the point. You have to figure out how does the solver generate EV in a in a certain line that he does. What can I learn from that? Take that knowledge to the table. Uh, we both like to ask the question: Where does our EV come from? I remember when I when, before I launched my course, I shared you. Uh, I shared you my. Uh, the things that I was going to talk about. Do you remember that? And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's exactly, it's, you talk about exactly the same things as me. And even though we never talked any poker strategy together, right? Yeah. Where does my EV come from, for example, is a very big question in, in my philosophy and definitely a very big question in yours as well from what I've seen. Because if you know where the EV comes from in a strategy of the solver, and as you just said, in 210L, on the Zoom pool, there's people who deviate a lot, 80% probably, then what the solver actually does is useless but why it does something and how it generates a V and then applying that with the question, where does my value have to come from versus this player? Now that's some valuable information. Was, then we can make some high EV plays. It was really like such a fun talk. Like we, I mean, we know each other from the tables 
but actually we never battle too much i guess and it's really that like just meeting and like maybe seeing like some 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 things just like having so very very similar ideas and then actually we agreed like a, a great thing to share here as well that it's like okay uh i'm the the cash game head coach or poker coach you are you are doing the coaching for poker ambition but i i don't see like the two of us as like competitors at all for example we're like yes we are more focusing a, a, a little on like yes everyone who is interested in in having more fun in poker and this is really for for everyone and i guess you are more on the the university level right maybe you have those two right some some football analogies or, or fifa card games but that's really like for for the for the mid-stakes players who really want to get to the top or like right uh, i'm i'm happy to help everyone who is that like pretty much like me in my early career just like who is happy with the local league and wants to beat uh, beat up his play the players in in the home game because actually it's not like they can't cannot learn from each other it's like so fun to see where like i i i, I uh, talk about ancestries from like a, a random vegas live game and it's like still the same analogies work right and it's like okay them teaching them the lookalike and the dice principle is just like they like oh blew my mind right it's like really crazy and this is how, how i see it we're like right first thing i i probably recommend everyone who is like hey i want to even deeper uh, and and i'm like uh, part of poker code but there's mainly just you as a cash game coach i sent them over to you right if they are like in the right position as like hey, if, if someone looks at like wow poker ambition yes great some seminars but the whole course it's like whew, uh, maybe too expensive for like what what i'm aiming at and then maybe something else is uh, is, is is the perfect perfect option we're like i love it so much and i'm the the biggest probably Instagram follower on YouTube, just watching all those little videos uh, because I just think like the way we think pretty alike there. Uh, I, I just like everything that is that is thrown out there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you have seen me watching the the the, the Twitch Twitch show uh, every now and then, definitely as well. Um, yeah, I remember already since the beginning, mate. You were a loyal follower on our Instagram when we just started out with the CFP and Rotterdam. No, no, I, I, uh, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. Um, actually, I also, I, I remember I got a message that you were giving a shout out. You, you said in one of your lectures, yeah, go, go check out Jared Man on YouTube. Go check out the Wacko and the Wacko show on Twitch. Sure. You know, these guys, you know, they like to play around. You can learn something from them. So I That's like, people ask, that. like, what is the correct, like, there's so much great free content out there, but there's so much shit free content out there as well. So it's like, yeah. you gotta, you gotta help them out a little. Uh, and 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 pre-select a little the the good stuff, right? This is just uh, where we where we need to team up a little there, and uh, that's just like I mean it's it's so great. Actually, I just I just found out like Carrot Corner they're doing a fun fun job there as well. Like even they are more more solver based and maybe not not maybe a little less creative. I will talk to them soon and and find that out. But uh, yeah, definitely like there there's good stuff out there when when you are in in the Twitch streets and 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 like poker. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember actually someone sent me a message yesterday talking about that. Like, they thought it was humbling to see that I would also recommend other other programs. For example, for example, we're having you on, right? Shout out to Poker Code, <laughs> right? But like, because I don't see it necessarily as competitors, you know. And also, for example, you can have a Poker Code subscription and also get my program. Why not? You know, I'm sure a lot of people who have who have a Poker Code subscription also have a Run at One subscription. Right, I mean, run it once. Everyone has a run it once subscription. I have a run it once subscription. Mm -hmm. Shout out to run it once as well. Shout out to everyone. Uh, you know, because I think everyone, you know, there, there's good content out there, right? I think <laughs> for coaching, 
there's just a lot of good content out there. What we, what we said you before, have a lot to choose like from. really that, like we are in times where it's just like so easy to learn fast with all that help. Like whatever yeah. we had to learn, like throughout the years in the beginning, this is just, you can learn it in a couple of months, maybe, right? You won't learn the experience we might have in certain things, but just like the pure knowledge about the game and like how it works is, is just pretty easy. And this is, this is just, I mean, we should see it as a beautiful thing, right? Because it's a, it's a very fun game and it, like the more detailed it gets, the more fun it can get at the same time. It's not that like a big dark thing and no one knows what's, what's working. And like, that's actually my favorite word. It's like, can you tell us what is working and what is not working? That's like something like, okay, great. Write a book about it and publish it in two years, probably. And it's all wrong with it. You write down there, but it's like, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just love to see all that. Yeah. That's something I, I like about more sort of principle typo coaching like you do as well. For example, if you look at our main program, the mechanics, and if you look at my technical uh, overview, I don't talk about how to play three by pots out of position, for example. Everything I talk about and everything that I put in mechanics, I try to make as timeless as possible. So these are just principles that will never change, no matter how the game changes. And they apply to both tournaments and cash. I want to make it as broad as possible, right? And timeless as possible. Because indeed, a lot of courses... Two years from now, ah, yeah, it doesn't apply anymore. You know, if you go too specific on, okay, this really works right now. And then when you're indeed, when you're finally done writing the book, you have to start in the beginning again, because what you said in the beginning maybe doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. And in the end, it never comes out. So that doesn't really work. Um, going, uh, looking forward, you mentioned about, uh, obviously there are some restrictions now in Germany that, uh, that allow you to, I don't think, play higher than 200 NL Zoom, right? It's also, again, interesting to see that you find you, again, went inwards for a challenge, right? You're challenging yourself <laughs> instead of having competition at the tables trigger your competitiveness. So that's, I think, interesting to see as well. But you mentioned uh, maybe going to, to Vienna again, maybe certain trips. What, is your, uh, what are your poker goals going forward? Um. I mean, right now I will I will do lots of stuff for poker code. So I'm 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 in touch a lot in touch with you know how it is like when you when you prepare videos and theory and stuff. So it's really like uh, you you are still in touch with the theory, but it's like different when you are sitting at the table again. Right? You see weird stuff. It's now how I just described. Okay, now I know again who my guys are there. Just after after a week, pretty much. Um, so uh, I I plan on on going to Vienna more often. Uh, again, I planned it last year already. The last two trips I had both to cancel both of them um, just because of Corona. So I hope that that gets better. That I just can can go there sometimes, meet friends and and grind like one week of of real poker, um, and that that would be good. Uh, it's like uh, still still open. Whether maybe at some point in the future I will live in Vienna again. Uh, we'll gotta discuss that together uh, with my with my wife. But we are like we're it's like yeah, is an option. Uh, so I definitely want to still stay fresh in the game. It's not like like poker is 100% over for me. Maybe I, I start battling a, a little more again. And I still, I, I think I'm, I, I can make it there pre pretty quickly to to like uh, have a decent win rate in like, uh, in like solid games as well. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a plan from now on. Let's pretty much seeing what the, what the year brings, um, how much traveling is, is okay or not. And um yeah, that's that's the main plan. Um, Mainly second to cash games, no more MTTs. Yeah, that's just. Um, I mean, as long as I pay taxes in Germany, MTTs is just not a thing. MTTs is maybe just like going on a fun trip, uh, but 
the MTTs I played before just do not make sense when it's like when you pretty much only can use your own money. So it's like when staking or buying shares or even swapping is just not possible because of the, the like how, how things are taxed in Germany and I don't want to do anything wrong. Um, and uh, so it's like, yeah, you can find me maybe in Barcelona playing the main event, something like that. Right. But I, yeah. I won't fly to Vegas and play like 25 Ks every day. Um, so uh, I might, I, I would love to just like, again, take, take some people like, I don't know, fly to Mexico or Thailand and grind scoop for two weeks or something like that to just have that whole feeling again. And then I, I mean, maybe I'm, I didn't do too much short stack. I think I sh should still be fine. Uh, but maybe I select some events there and play a nice schedule that then fits to to my skills that I'm I'm sure of are there. Um, yeah, no no clear plans uh, there yet, but I I can see everything. If you, so if you, it looks like possibly also a good combination, right? Going all in in poker for a couple weeks in Vienna, coming back to your hometown in Germany to relax. Maybe you can find a nice balance in there. If you're gonna go back to the to the high stakes cash game grind, what do you think is uh, one of your greatest challenges that you will have to overcome? What is like maybe some of the weaknesses that you still have to improve on? To it's like not that they are to like beat them. the clear big ones. It's more the every spot maybe going a little deeper again. It's like uh, after now since June, not working on like or reviewing gameplay uh, in depth for what is it now six seven months uh six months yeah um obviously it's like you lose things a little but i think since most of the high stakes table are running about a um kind of a bigger spot anyways it will be fine so it's like and um seeing which regulars are playing there it's like not that it makes my my like makes me shaking it's like i'm not really scared of mm -hmm. that competition Petition there too much, and I'm I'm in like uh, I'm a lot in touch with uh, with Duty, um, who like had another um, two great years behind him, uh, like crushing exactly those stakes, um, sharing lots of thoughts and and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's when you are not forced to just really think things through all on yourself. It's just always an accelerator of uh, just like getting back into the into the game. All right, then I have my final question for you. Then I'll give it over to Adam and then we're going to wrap it off. Um, if you could pick three people, okay, to help you get to a higher level in your poker career, guys, girls, and you had to go, you go in a house together, like you mentioned, maybe in Mexico for a couple months, and you're really going to go all in to try to become the best of the best. Who are three people that you would include in your house you can pick anyone dead or alive hmm this is still hunger i don't know you know ah i didn't expect that so best of the best uh so i um, think about you you know you need now you need you need three different maybe three different angles you know <laughs> yes but it's it, it needs to be if it's really in the house in mexico i need three people i get along with as well and you need, that's important that's yes. very important so i think there are some people i would love to have a look into their brain but not more so they are out pretty much um who, who would who didn't make it because of that now i'm curious who are you curious to look in the, into their i, I don't know brain? whether i can call out names here uh but i mean for example i would be very curious to look in the poker brain of 
Stefan. One, one, two, two, two. Yeah. Actually, he might be an option. I didn't think of him so far. I just don't know, know him, uh, like, how he is privately. But I think he's just, like, he seems to be a, a cool, relaxed guy. All right, I take Stefan with me. Let's freaking go. I take Stefan with me. All right. Um, I take Uri Pelik with me. All right. Shout out to Uri Pelik. And... Oh, we got a nice team going on here. Maybe someone who makes a decent cook at the same time. Uh, well, from what I was told in our first podcast, Joris uh, is quite well, used to be a chef. Uh, Has some entity inputs. Yeah, he won't make it. No, no, no. Hmm. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, so we got. I, it's about getting I think the best. Is a good cooker, the most no, money. Yeah. I, like I'm, I don't need a scripter, right, in my house. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, whatever you think is, is necessary. No, I, I take I take Dudi with me as well. I think I'm fine Dudy. with just chatting with him as well, but it will be like a super relaxed situation then. He's pretty close with Uri, I guess, and I like their their way of uh, of like looking at strategy, even though I was never really involved myself. And then then Stefan has like the the special other kind of like other. His brain is definitely working in a different way. He's the special one. He is the definitely the special one. Yes. And I think I've right. just seen pictures and talked a little, or like have seen like, or it was Dudi talking to him and he was, he was chilling for, like he's not locked in like a, in like a Russian building somewhere. Wasn't he like chilling in Costa Rica with Lucky CPS and others and stuff like that. So I think he's, that gives me enough proof for, for like uh, him, him being cool to hang out with. Yeah, you need to be able to drink some Coronas at the beach with him afterward. Yeah, if it's like, I mean, I, I always have that image of, okay, if it's just someone who locks himself in the room, runs the solvers all night and has never seen sunlight, um, that's like not the person I want to hang out with there, even though his poker strategy might be great. Um, so, I, But I think uh, Stefan is, is not like that at all. So um, yeah, let's let's take him in the team. That's a, that's a fearless, that's a, that's a very good team you've uh, established. You there, got I'm yours. Sure. I mean, everyone has to ask that question, right? Hey, I'm I'm the one asking the questions here, but okay. yeah, I, I would I would probably include Stefan as well. I would include uh, Linus as well, because I've never talked any form of strategy with Linus. So I'm yeah, he talks I mean, very, very very slowly. Curious. That's the problem. Like that, I don't know. I mean, it's I, true for all Swiss people, but they talk very slowly. To be fair, poker code content I also watch on 1.5 speed. You're not you're. Adam, Adam, when I watch Adam's content, I have to reduce the speed. When okay. I watch your content, I have to increase the speed. That's okay. So yeah, Linus, Stefan, who else would I include? You, you didn't see any of the four tabling live videos then? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. And my third one, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, uh, I'll add like... Uh, not really a poker player, but maybe like a like a Jared Tendler type of person. Okay. Or maybe, or maybe actually, I'll bring Adam. Yeah. Mindset, performance. Can you cook, Adam? I can. Basic. I, I, I'll I'll take Adam along with me. So I have all the poker knowledge that I need with Stefan and Linus. You know, and that's I'm, a good I'm team. Sure, that's I'm a good sure team. That's enough. And then I'll add some other dynamics in Adam. I'll be the chef. So, at, at, at least, at least my house is winning the drinking war, so I'd say I'm well prepared. True, I don't, I don't think me and Adam are gonna do a lot of drinking there, even though I heard Linus, no. uh, Linus can drink, right? 
I wouldn't. And I mean, Stefan is Russian, so yeah, we got Stefan, and I and uh, yeah, Dudi is from a special area from Germany. Yeah, I was gonna say Germans and Russians they <laughs> love drinking. All right, Adam, do you have any final questions for uh, for Stefan here? I've got a bunch of questions, but I think they'll take us off on random tangents. So I think we'll I'll be respectful of Stefan's time here. And yeah, I just want to thank you for an amazing podcast. I've learned a lot of lessons from your wisdom. And I feel like you've lived a very full poker experience in a short amount of time, relatively. Probably seems like a long time to you. Uh, but yeah, some really, really powerful lessons on self-awareness, seeing the bigger picture, uh, perspective and reframing. So uh, yeah, really, really powerful stuff. I feel like every every question you've answered, I've been taking notes and I'll reflect on your answer. So yeah, thank you for your time and yeah, I'll leave it to Rene to do the final final closing. Right, it was lo- lots- Do you have any final words? I mean, Stefan? Just saying it was, it was lots of fun, lots of uh, lots of things actually like to talk about and to to think about for me now in the in the near future as well. So um, definitely thinking about the questions I can ask myself uh, on a more regular basis. Something I think is, is, is just cool because uh, just like watching how things can change probably is the most interesting thing. Uh, and like maybe one last story that I enjoyed just so much was uh, finding I was like uh, blogging a little in the German forums, uh, like to 14 or 13 to 16. And just watching that five years later can be kind of a similar thing, just like reading myself talking about, yeah, probably finishing, like not seeing myself in the poker area in two, three years from now was something something fun to find in like a post from 2015 or like when they just announced that SNE uh, got got killed but stuff like that I I just love love that way of thinking and uh, yeah it was a really really nice talk to you guys what a great conversation that was with Stefan aka Goose Course Sondheimer a lot I mean there's there, there's just so much uh, me and Adam we were talking about it like there's so much questions that we might still have but hey uh, at some point, we have to call it an end. Just a little summary for you guys. Adam, what were your main takeaways? I know it was hard to take away only a couple of things, but what really stuck with you out of this yeah. conversation? Yeah, so many things came up. I've wrote about 12 important things, but I'll just mention a couple of them, which I think were the most powerful for me. One was his self-awareness to always have this clear value system. And for him, that's basically his ability to navigate his landscape and know what's important and what's not. This often led him to make kind of safe choices because that was in line with his values and often turned down what would be classed as big opportunities to make more money by buying action in high rollers or even by playing higher stakes himself at certain points of his career. So by having a clear value system, things that would be a conflict for most players, should I do this? Should I do that? He navigated them very easily. And also I was amazed by how little problems he has, which gets me onto his next skill, which I thought was very powerful, is his ability to uh, use perspective and reframing. So when obstacles come his way, he's already treated like an opportunity to learn from. How can I learn from this opportunity? So we almost couldn't pin him onto an obstacle because he would never call it an obstacle because there's a learned opportunity. I think Rene at one point you said, um, he said something about having a year of poker and if it failed, you'd be like, it wouldn't be a failure because I'd learn something. Even like uh, if, you, if we could class as a failure from the outside, he instantly thought about how can I, how can I reframe this? So uh, yeah, the perspective skills and his self-awareness in alignment with his values, it was very, very interesting to hear. And also like, which we didn't really cover throughout, but just how humble he is and just willing to learn. Like obviously, obviously he's played some of the highest games in the world, the one drop, the super high rollers. Yet he's willing just to grind it out at the 200 zoom pool because that's the game that's available with no ego, no 
no like uh just so so humble wants to learn so uh, so many things around that which are really powerful but yeah a million lessons that i could expand into that hour but i'll i'll leave it at that so uh, anything from you Rene, which was which really stuck out yeah i remember i labeled him at some point as a like my he was very very he, he lived very mindful lived very stoic I think a lot of things were necessarily unconscious, like all the things that I learned about mindfulness and stoicism. I mainly learned from actively learning from books or from uh, looking up other people. Uh, and I think a lot of the things, how he thinks about life came quite natural, right? Like that he didn't necessarily need to achieve certain things to feel a certain way because he already had everything that he wanted right there. Like success was already inside of him, basically. He didn't need to go out and, you know, get 20 million uh, to feel successful, for example. So I thought that was uh, that was really strong. Also, the power of the questions, especially the tech at the technical side of the game. Right nowadays, we talked about how much access we have to information. Basically, all the information is out there. So what becomes very important is that you understand the information correctly and mainly the why behind it, and then ask yourself good questions. Poker nowadays, I think, is more about picking and prioritizing what is really important. And thinking about only that instead of learning new knowledge. What I think most people try to do is gather new knowledge. And then they end up with having a lot of knowledge which they don't necessarily master. And then while they are making poker decisions, a lot of stuff can come in their mind. And then they end up kind of choking because there's just too much information. Right? And I think that's uh, that, that's definitely a big problem. So also in terms of how we understand GTO, right? What is the objective of a solver? Instead of just copying the solver itself, it's one of the philosophies that I... Uh, I teach by as well. We also always have to understand how is spot generates EV. And then, as he mentioned, a lot of people in the 200 zoom pool, they don't play like the solver. But because he understands how the solver generates EV in a certain situation, he can then estimate the situation in the pool that he's playing and make the highest EV plays, which are not necessarily what the solver does. But he learned certain principles from the solver to basically have the highest winnings at the games that he's currently playing. So, I, yeah, that's... Very, very strong, uh, a very strong philosophy towards uh, uh, improving also in the technical side of the game, in my opinion. So yeah, I mean, like you said, we can go on and on and on and basically repeat everything he just said in the podcast because it was just all so much valuable stuff. So uh, Adam, I would like to thank you again for uh, hosting this podcast here with me. I would like to also thank the listeners again for tuning in for another great episode and. Uh, we're looking forward to see you in the next one. Now, if you learned something in this episode, we would much appreciate it if you like and subscribe. Leave a comment with your main takeaways. Give us a five-star rating and follow the pod. This way we can reach more players and help them reach their big and ambitious poker goals. And if you want us to help you get to those goals, go over to pokerambition.com to find out more.